This week's episode of This Is Only A Test is brought to you by Betabound. Betabound is a place for people who want to try out new tech products before anyone else. Betabound offers a wide variety of beta testing opportunities, everything from mobile apps to hardware devices like TVs and smart lights. For example, Betabound testers have had the opportunity to try out products from companies like GoPro, Fitbit, and Logitech. Anyone can be a beta tester, and it's all about real people providing honest feedback. As a beta tester, you'd be collaborating with the teams making these products to share your thoughts on what you like and dislike, and ultimately help determine what hits store shelves. To sign up, go to betabound.com slash this is only a test, and some lucky listeners will receive cool swag for signing up. Now on with the show. Hey, let's start a show. Hey, let's start the show. Hey, let's start the show for Thursday, December 1st. 2016. Welcome to This Is Only a Test, the official podcast of Tested.com. Right. <laughs> Look at that fucking squirrel on my bird feeder. And then suddenly, the Enterprise D's bridge. That's not, joining us. That's not the sound of the Enterprise. No, that D. that is that's the that's, that's the A TOS, isn't it? Yeah, whoever mixed that did it wrong. <laughs> well, knowing that, hearing that dubstep intro to this week's podcast, you might guess who might be joining us, and it is of course on the far end of the table, Will Smith, back, and I don't know how many weeks. Many, many a week. It's been 16 hours and 15 days. What? No, I, I don't know. I was trying to remember how that song goes, and I realized as I started talking, I just completely lost Oh, the lost Sinead it. O'Connor? Yeah. 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 Mm. Uh, thanks for having me. It's good yeah, to be. Yeah, thanks you for know, coming in. Norm, have you ever thought about dressing up the set to look like the Enterprise D's bridge? Because um, that would be amazing. We already dressed up the set a little bit, especially for you this <clears> week <throat> with our fancy walk step and repeat banners okay behind us uh, you've got the technical term for that i like that yep so uh it's already been dressed up no we haven't this this room is due for a redesign and that will be happening early next year once we get our main studio set cool. set up which is happening this month wow uh, i guess we're, we're breaking that news uh, and also joining us is of course Jeremy Williams. Oh, thank you. Hello. Yeah, now you can talk. Uh, Kishore is still in India, I believe, riding <sighs> elephants, taking photos. He's tweeting a lot, so Google Fi must be working for him pretty well. Oh, is he on a Fi phone over there? He is testing a Fi phone. He went to India to test just Google to test Fi. the phone. That seems like a really expensive way to test a phone. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. Facebook's new internet uh, global internet initiative launching in India, so he's uh, he's doing all sorts of. But testing. I, I thought that Facebook thing was all filtered and not real internet. So that's why you're not yeah. seeing him post on Facebook, okay. maybe. That makes sense. Um, so how have you guys been? <laughs> Doing awesome, man. Did you guys travel? You traveled. I did traveled. You? I did. Whoa, you went to the heartland. I did. I saw America for all its glory. Did you um, sing This Land is Your Land? No. Did I you, guess I should have. Did you sing? Uh, I had. I ate Chick-fil-A. I went to okay. the voted best airport in America. What? Favorite Indianapolis? Airport? Indianapolis airport. Is that like a lesser of all evils? I, I don't know. Like it was a giant, real big banner. The moment I st- stepped into the big atrium, I was like, vote 10 years running, best favorite <laughs> airport in America, <laughs> Indianapolis airport. And it was a really nice airport. The, was it better than Terminal 2? Was there a Pinkberry? 
No pink beer, but there was Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A is good. My Chick-fil-A. family loves Terminal 2. Terminal, like we, Terminal 2 is the best. It's <laughs> my, my daughter's Terminal like, can we go to the airplane now? And she really just wants to go to the airport. Yeah. Well, they have a candy store yeah. in Terminal 2. There's Pinkberry. The food is good. Andale is a favorite with my family. Yeah, I like the, the quesadillas in the morning. Uh, they, it also feels the most like... A uh, like a spaceport because all the white chairs, the bright lights. Yeah. Exploratorium has a small exhibit there. <laughs> yeah, as opposed to, and they have a great museum gallery on the side. Exploratorium has that now, but yep. like before, they they have really good curators for that. Uh, as opposed to Terminal One in SFO, which feels like a scene out of a Contagion film. Yeah, a quarantine area. I, where I think the ceilings actually, are falling, and yeah, yeah. Like there's dripping dripping water places, and, and everyone's super sad, and, and all, all the flights are delayed. Yeah. Ha- have you noticed like that sculpture above security in Terminal Two? The it's a hanging. It's, it looks kind oh. of like a Klein bottle. Like well, it's like you're gonna get caught if you walk under it. Yeah, right? yeah. it's a net that they drop down if, if terrorists come into the tar. It's it's my favorite part of Terminal Two is that mm. sculpture. Yeah. Um, so it, Indiana. Sorry. So I would vote SFO Terminal Two favorite airport. Uh, but but you have to include the the whole airport. I I, I guess so, so. Terminal One and Three bring I it would, down. I would still vote LAX worst airport. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. And car rentals. Oh, uh, I did a car rental in Indiana. Got to drive around and. What'd you get? Um, I got a Nissan. I think something big. Uh, did you get a big American car? No, it was it was a modest hearse but the the gold thing was was magic just walking out and yeah. you like see norman chan on the board right danica said oh i'm gonna go walk the dog and make her poop while you go take care of the wait- line waiting you I'm took like, the dog to indiana and i said i don't there was no line waiting look they have my name we're gonna walk up into this car and yeah. drive away that's that's free it's a service you do not have to pay for you took the dog on the plane i did as a carry-on yes so things that i did not know uh you can take your dog on a plane if they fit in a, uh, a special like, they have to be soft under kennel. 23 pounds, and they have mm. to fit under the seat. Yeah, so that's for the carry-on. Some dogs, I guess you can have them checked in. We checked Chloe once. and But small dogs and flat-faced dogs, they won't let you check in mm. because of breathing problems. Mm. So you have to put them. And it costs $125 each way to use the dog as a carry-on, to take the spot well, of one of your carry-ons. And... If there's another person that already has the dog carry-on spot, there's only a handful of dog carry-on spots on the plane. You have to make the reservation in advance and then get the approved kennel. Yeah, it's. um, We tried to get Chloe to fit into the into the underground into the underseat kennel carrier. You mean with the bags? With the bags when she was a puppy, because we took her to Tennessee once, Um, and she was still under twenty three pounds at that point because she was still a juvenile, but. She did not want to go in the tiny box because she was too big for it, and we ended up having to check her, which was which was really really traumatic for everyone. Oh, involved. so there's a difference. I didn't realize yeah. that. Well, yeah. If you check her, she goes in the big hard plastic thing. Yeah, and she goes in like luggage. Mm-hmm. But I mean, the nightmare scenario is that somebody is like, "I'm going to pet this dog on the on the tarmac and get bitten." Well, or that she'll run off. Right. Right. Um, I mean, on the air. Well, on they, the, they won't um, open the. the well, kennel. you think that, but who knows. And and so you zip tie the cage shut so right. that they can't open it. It's terrible for the dog, no yeah, matter what. No doubt, traveling I, like that. Now our dog is three months old and needs to pee every like forty five four seconds hours. Okay. At I mean, it, I think the way they do it is like how many months plus two or something. How this for hours? That was about your flight length, right? And right, my dog also refuses to pee. So uh, there were there uh, the the coming back. I went to Atlanta and then came back. And Atlanta, San Francisco is four and a half hours. 
an hour of that flight was spent between me and Danica, either one of us, in the bathroom with a pee pad on the ground, with the dog standing on the pee pad and us yelling at the dog, pee, Ripley, pee, pee, please pee. And then fa- her falling asleep on the pee pad in the bathroom stall on uh, people in love the airplane. You. With a line outside. With the line outside. So it might be too late for this, but Chloe pees on command. You can say, Chloe, go to the spot, and she'll start peeing no matter where oh you my are. God. What kind of draconian household wow. do you have? Look, it's a, we, we were early on authoritarianism, <laughs> so... We're just getting the crate training. Uh, we bought diapers, though, so we had the emergency diapers, oh but she God, won't pee. That's, that's terrible. Like back, yeah. the, the point is, if you say the same thing when she's... The moment she starts peeing yep. for the first like six months, yep. you can walk out at, in a year and just say, Ripley, spot, and she'll pee immediately. All right. So it doesn't help you right now. Yeah. But you can work. It's a goal to work toward. Yeah, it was comical. Well, I traveled. Where'd you go? <laughs> I, I took a train. I took oh, a train to, right. to Denver. From, Mile high in Denver? <clears throat> Is uh, that a song? Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's yeah. right. They, they actually had to stand on the courthouse steps in order to get a mile high. Well, I don't think they have to stand on the courthouse steps anymore. What? Oh, oh right on, dude. Right on. 420, dude. Uh, we took a train from Emeryville to Denver, and it was uh, the most beautiful train ride Ever. Oh, man, that, I'm so jealous. I've always wanted to do that. It's called the California Zephyr Line. It's uh, it's very old. It's almost a century old, and uh, it's run by Amtrak now. And it's 33 hours of pure, gorgeous Sierras, salt flats, and Rockies. Now your kids are of an age that I I have a hunch, knowing them reasonably well, that they may not have appreciated the natural beauty that the that Western America offered. <laughs> they were had their heads buried in the iPad. Pretty okay. much as much as they could. And I limited that as much as I could. So it was a constant struggle. Are they including your wife? No, she actually had to work. So I took the kids oh. out and then she joined us. She oh. flew out there. But So I'm, it was just you. Just me and the kids and the iPads. And the iPads. LTE iPads or Wi-Fi? No, 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 no Wi-Fi. No LTE. No, oh, so you, no they, internet. Were, they were just, no, they just were, offline. I mean, they, they, they had a struggle somehow, right? It was like they were on the... They just wanted to tap the, tap the screen, get the refresh. I got to tell you, though, one of the highlights of the trip involved the iPad because my son, my nine-year-old son... Yeah. I showed him Zork on just on a lark, oh. and, I, and I thought he would spend ten seconds until I let him turn it off. He got hooked on Zork. Oh, that's so good! So he would at nighttime. He read us Zork, and we all offered you know solutions what we wanted to do: go north, get the sword, you know, kill the thing, and it was a blast. How much now, Zork do you remember? None of it. Okay, yeah. except getting eaten by a Gru. Yeah, that's right. That's, that's the song. It. That's um, as far as I got. That's that's a that's a. You're you're kind of in a predicament there. You want you've paid for this expensive trip. You want your son to enjoy yep. the great outdoors sure. and a train ride, which is a luxury these days. Mm-hmm. But also, you want him. You appreciate that he likes Zork. So, <laughs> well, that was nighttime. Okay. Too. So there's not much to see. But it was it was great. You know, we didn't sleep that well, but it was totally worth it. The food is great compared to planes. Forget it. You haven't had food like this on a plane since the 70s. Did you do a Pullman? Or did you put them in the chairs? Uh, no, we had a, a what they call a family room. Okay. So it's it's not much larger than a small bathroom, but like two beds, bunk beds, or something. Four, but two of those are, are, are small. Okay. Yeah, and um, you know, it's like the width of the car. Yeah, but this not, isn't not like, very wide. I'm imagining it as Last Express, kind of like wooden, like Harry Potter wood doors. But no, this is like metal. I no, can't. it's Amtrak. Yeah, yeah, but the hallways are single person width. You know, like right. when you're walking down them. So it's definitely a full train experience. The observation car is just gorgeous. I'm telling you, going through the mountains and even through Utah was just stunning. I got so many good pictures that no one will ever care to see. 
<laughs> well, Please Utah's, don't show me. Utah's gorgeous. Yeah. Um, I always, I've always wanted to do the train from Seattle to uh, uh, Minneapolis, I think. Uh, yeah. I've, I can't remember what it's called. I've, I've only done the one from here to Portland and now from here to Denver. I, yeah, here I have, to Portland, I yeah. would do. And it comes out, goes out of Emeryville? Or, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that's the end of the line. The line for the East Coast bound one. Oh. It's called the Empire Builder. It goes to Chicago, wow. all the way to Chicago. Okay. It should be a blast. Yeah, absolutely. But it's like five days, four Telling days. Telling you, ride a train, folks, before they, you can't, because it's definitely a great way to see the country. It's just chill out, relaxing experience. It's like a land boat. <laughs> it's like a land boat. What's what was your uh, turkey strategy, guys? While you were while you were on the like, were you in charge of cooking in Indianapolis? You just were there for the ride. Nope, we brought desserts. Okay, and ourselves. We saw family it. in Denver. Okay, and they they cooked us turkey kindly. That was nice. Yeah, what'd you do? Um, we had seven, nine people at the house. Cooked a bird. I think I saw a picture of it. Had turkey. Looks looks satisfying. I spatchcock every it, year. Say it. I I am I am the biggest believer in the spatchcock that you will find. Now explain spatchcocking for first time listeners. So the problem with cooking turkeys, especially large turkeys, is that the breast and the thighs need to be cooked to different temperatures, which means that you end up doing in order to cook everything to the right amount and not over or undercook anything, you end up doing things that are ludicrous, like taking a 20 pound turkey that's stuffed and flipping it midway through the, the cooking process when it's 350 degrees. Um, what spatchcocking does, and it's something that uh, you, you, lots of people do with, with chickens, is that you cut the back out, you flatten out the bird. Sometimes you even deconstruct the limbs and take the legs off, and you can cook them separately. So I do a few years ago. We talked about in this podcast before. America's Test Kitchen revisited Julia Child's spatchcock turkey recipe from the '50s and kind of updated it and modernized it. And and what you do for that is you uh, cut the backbone of the bird out, you take the legs off. And then you debone the thighs, so you have these butterfly open thighs, and you fill that gap with sage and salt and pepper, mm. and then tie them up in a roulade, and bake that whole thing on a big pile of stuffing, so that when it, the turkey's cooking, all the juices and fat that run out of it run down into the stuffing, so you essentially have like four times as much butt stuffing from the turkey as you would have That's great. In, all a the traditional, in a traditional turkey, and it is fabulous. Um, so... Like the thighs this year, the thing that people couldn't get enough of were the thighs. Hmm. Like they were, I got one tiny piece of thigh and everybody's gone because you cut them into these like inch wide chunks. Yeah. You got 15 people in one turkey. I had nine people okay. on one, one turkey. Okay. How many yeah. pounds? I did a 16 pound turkey, I think. Oh, she went for the 20. Well, so I. Oh, is there an optimal weight for spatchcocking? I mean, you can spatchcock at whatever weight you want, Norm. But but um, everybody recommends turkeys in the 16 to 18 pound size at most. The nice thing about spatchcocking is if you need to make a lot of turkey, you can do... The other nice thing is that it goes really fast. So it took like 90 minutes or two hours at most to cook the whole turkey. Crazy. Um, with the stuffing. And uh, it's flat on the on the pan. Mm-hmm. So it's easy to do two birds at once if you have a big crowd of people. Right. Um, which is much more effective than making one 25-pound turkey. I, I think at least. Nice. So yeah, uh, Kenji at uh, at Serious Eats has a spatchcock recipe. Mm-hmm. Uh, the folks at Chef Steps have a spatchcock recipe. Uh, I like that America's Test Kitchen one, but deboning the thighs on the bird is is a little bit tricky if you've never done that before. You still have leftovers. Uh, we chucked the carcass last night, right. but uh, and the other night nice broth. Well, so when you do the backbone, cut the backbone out, you use that along with all the giblets to make the turkey stock. Mm. And I had gravy for days. 
We never ran out of we never run out of gravy anymore. Will Smith, gravy for days. Gravy for days. Gravy for days. It's a really nice bump. It is great. Um, let's start off with the sad news. We had a death death in the sci-fi family this yeah. week. Ron Glass, uh, who played Shepard in oh. Firefly. Yep, and died in Serenity. In Serenity, that's right. Spoilers, man. I haven't seen Serenity. <laughs> Come on, it's a little, a little late for that. A little late for that. Um, okay. But a, a fan favorite, you know, um, we'll never have that Firefly reunion exactly the same again. Yeah. So that sucks. Did you guys see it, know him from anything but uh, for, uh, Serenity and Firefly? He, I think he was a like Emmy Award nominated or winning for some other things. Yeah. Yeah. Um he was he had a sitcom in the sixties or a um he was on Bonnie Miller. No. That's who he was. Huh. I liked his character a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Uh that's right. He played uh was it Barney Miller in the yeah, this, the No, he didn't play Barney Miller. He played Oh, he was um, in Ron Harris okay. on Barney Miller. On Barney Miller. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Um did you guys watch any movies over the, the holidays in the past 2 weeks? We didn't record a podcast last week. We had a classic episode brought back from the archives from 2012. I don't know. I, like I don't know if that's fair. I feel like throw, throwback episodes. One of the things Roman Mars says is the feed's always new, man. It's always fresh. There are always new listeners. Well, People enjoyed it. True. People appreciated it. Did Better you, than no episode. Did you insert new ads? Oh, yes. <laughs> I don't know, man. I, all I know is that the, it's, those it's old blast shows... It's Blast from the Past, brought to you by our sponsor last week. The new, the new cast is much better. Um, what did I watch? I watched, uh, I watched some classics this weekend. On television? Uh, Plex, but same yeah. difference. Mm-hmm. What'd you watch? Uh, watched High Fidelity. Oh, yeah, dude. Fabulous movie. Love it. Um, and then we watched Batman Returns, because like, the hipster Christmas movie of choice is Die Hard. You know, people always come out and say, well, you know, my favorite Christmas movie is Die Hard. Uh, I think we're past that. Past well, I mean, my mom is going to come out this year and right. say that it, Die Hard is her favorite Christmas movie. Die Hard being a favorite Christmas movie is is like, uh, has hit the mainstream a long time ago. Yeah. It's, it's, the, it's, the Rick, it's like Rick Rolling. Well, you, you can get a Die Hard Christmas sweater now. Yeah, exactly. It says, ho, 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 At, at Target. At, at, oh, Which yeah. one is Batman Returns? Batman Returns Michelle is Michelle Pfeiffer. Penguin. It's Tim Burton's last one he did, and it is the Michelle Pfeiffer one, the one that... Uh, with Danny DeVito as the yeah. Penguin. Okay. The and, and Christopher Michael Walken. One. And Christopher Walken as, as, as Max, the Max, Shrek. Max, Max Shrek. Is it, is it Michael Keaton? It's Michael Keaton. Oh, okay. It's, yeah. it's, it is... It has amazing practical effects in it. it well, and it's all shot on the WB backlot. This is the thing I didn't remember, because I we, we have been to the WB backlot now, Norm, because we went when we shot the um, one of the talking rooms. Okay. Uh, and... Like walking around, it's all these high angle shots down on action below, and then street level shots. It's 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 really interesting because it looks like a much much old. It's almost shot like Miracle on Forty Third Street, Thirty Fourth Street. It's an old movie. It's nineteen ninety two, I believe, and they use a lot yeah. of miniatures. Uh, the scene where Batman has his wings pop out is a miniature, and where he really? glides down. Oh, I didn't yep. know that. Um, Same aesthetic as the first one, right? Very very similar aesthetic, dark, you know, yeah. it's very Tim Burton-esque. There's, there's a lot more matte paintings in the first one. So you see much more of Gotham, like much more, many more wide shots of Gotham. Yeah. Uh, in the second one, it's much more, it's much more close. And like the cinematography on the characters, there's a lot of these really tight headshots that are, that remind me a lot of like 50s, 50s holiday movies and romantic comedy, romantic movies and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Um, I remember lots of Dutch angles. There's a too, lot of Dutch which angles, which is similar to the that's 50- a Tim Burton joint yeah. too. Yeah. 
Um, but also kind of a flashback to the original TV series. It's yeah, a, it's a great it's a great holiday film. It is set during Christmas. There is the the circus gang. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, Penguin is wonderfully portrayed by Danny DeVito. You have a great Selena Kyle, Bruce Wayne scene, and the, mm-hmm. the the ball where all hell breaks loose. And of course, you have those those freaking penguins, the animatronic penguins, the, the animatronic Ooh. large penguins, uh, human sized penguins that push Penguin into into the abyss. That that movie is much better than I remembered it being. It's so great. that's all I'll say. Uh, I will. I think that you know, in terms of non traditional. Christmas films, you'd have to go with like Gremlins. Oh yeah, Gremlins is just a Christmas movie though. It's not non-traditional. I mean, it's, I guess it's a genre Christmas movie. No, he means like not Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street. Yeah. Oh, it's not about Santa. It, it's yeah. not about giving. It's just set during Christmas. I think I've only ever seen Gremlins two. What? Shut no. up, dude. <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> what? I, I was exactly. I was. Uh, I missed the window. I forgot there was a Gremlins two. Gremlins I saw 2 is, Gre- Gremlins two was on cable when I first got HBO. Gremlins two is a Looney is a straight up Looney Tunes parody. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they just made all the Gremlins turn into crazy Looney Tunes characters. There was one that's basically like Daffy. Did they try to tone it down? Like not as scary? It wasn't as scary. Exactly, it was a comical. It was a farce. Yeah, one was huh. genuinely scary and adorable. Um, yeah, and, and a great Christmas film. Uh, I'll have to watch that. I would love to hear people's favorite non-traditional Christmas films that they watch. Now, there are some some really good ones, like um, uh, Modern Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. A lot of the a lot, yeah. a lot of the Shane Black movies are set during Christmas. Uh, the Ice Harvest is a Christmas movie, isn't it? Or no, I'm thinking of Bad Santa because they both came out at the bad, same time. Bad Santa. I get Bad so Santa is also because like, that one does have Santa in it, but it, in but it's, it's not really. He's not a good Santa. No, it's not a feel-good Christmas. Film. What, what, are, what are your go-to? What are your must-watch every holiday season? Uh, in my family, it's Home Alone. Home Alone. Yeah, is I mean a, that's yeah. my, that's because I, I have kids now. I don't even like that movie anymore, but my kids love. But it. Home Alone is a Christmas film. Yeah, like Christmas is is the plot device that right. Is it Chris Columbus or is it? Um, it, it is okay. Yeah, director of Harry Potter one and Bicentennial Man. Great with kids. It turns out, yeah, he can he can direct some kids. Um, what else? Uh, Christmas vacation. You guys go in for that? Or are they too? No. Your kids are too young for that, probably now, huh? I don't I, have kids, but no. Well, I don't know. I like the first. I like the first two vacation movies so much. I have a hard time with Vegas and Christmas. Oh, see, I like Christmas and I like the first one, but I don't like European at okay. all. Okay, okay. Um, let's see what else. But we always watch Bad Santa. Eleanor loves it. I, have you seen? There's a sequel now. Just came out. What Just really? Came out. Bad Worst Santa, Santa? too. No, Bad Santa 2 just came out. <laughs> <laughs> I got nothing. I have literally nothing. Is it? Is this like a Gilmore Girls tie-in? Is that what's happening? N- no. Billy, um, Billy Bob. There is a movie. Um, oh, God. Uh, what is it? Not, not the Krampus film, but it's a oh Norwegian God. film, I want to say. Um, and it's uh, about the legend of Santa Claus. And um, oh, God, I forget the name of it. Uh, I don't know. Uh, something exports, okay. rare, rare exports, something like that. Yeah. Um, I I will say we we also watched Jedi over the holiday because it was on TBS ooh. and we were in a hotel, so we watched it. And my daughter had never seen it before, so it was great to sort of walk her through that and show her all the you know get into some of the reveals uh, with the final Yoda scene and all that. And then the very next day, while we were in Denver, we went to the Denver Art Museum where we saw a costume exhibit. 
Oh, oh cool! For Star, all the Star Wars costumes were right there on display. You guys would have loved it. I, I've been. I went. To, oh, it started in Seattle. Oh, you seen the exhibit? Yeah, I yeah. We, exhibit. Norman, and I saw it. So, like, one of my favorite things was I saw the Anthony Daniels costume exploded and laid apart. So you saw the interior, and you saw how all the wiring that you see in his arm, a lot of it is just done with fabric. Yep. Huh. Yep. Super cool. You see the way oh, like, they didn't they didn't have that exploded at the MP. You, no. you see his eyes and how they light up, but he can also see through them in the middle. Wow. And the wiring coming out of it. Loved it. Very cool show. You, you can see why he might be grumpy. Yeah. Oh, and the interior of the, of the death, of, I'm sorry, of the Darth Vader Max, which was just layered with foam. And, you know, it's funny how things you don't see on camera are completely unfinished. It's really funny because uh, the interior of Darth Vader Max, that's the original Vader Max, but the one they made for episode three has all the crazy uh, mechanical interiors because they had to have that prop when right. they put it mm-hmm. on Hayden Christensen. Well, don't and they have the multiples? Film. Yeah, I'm sure that wasn't what he wore. No, but that was just for that scene when they lowered yeah. it on his face and they showed all the, all the guts of the... I don't think mask. he wore it for very long because I'd say it was somebody tall wearing it to fall to their knees and throw their arms in the air. Or that was CG. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I can, I, we can no. dream. I did see, finally, Doctor Strange. Ooh. And I don't think we'll ever do a spoiler cast about it, but I really enjoyed it. It was... Uh, you know, for all the uh, the casting controversies, I thought Tilda Swinton was great in it, and it was a film, a rare action film, where at the climactic action scene, I turned over to Danica and I said, "This is awesome." Oh yeah, really? Yeah, mm. I haven't felt that way in a Marvel movie in a in a fairly long time. Yeah, I've, I, I read that it was the best of the, the Marvel intro movies. Yes, it definitely up there. I mean, they've done twenty of them now. They should be good at it at this point. Yeah. Um, how, like, is it, is it mandatory or is it something you watch when it comes out I think on it's, video? Oh, you mean mandatory to watch in theaters? Yeah. You know, it's actually the one that people say you should watch in 3D. So if you can find a 3D showing, Still. it's, it, people say this is a film that deserves to be watched in 3D. I unfortunately did not see it in 3D, hmm. but if I was to see it again and I don't know when I'll have time to, I would want to watch it in 3D. Okay. Mm. Yeah, cool 3D magic stuff. Really, really cool world-bending 3D magic stuff. Uh, moving on to other things from movies to TV, we had some first casting news for Star Trek Discovery. Now, Star Trek Discovery show that I'm still still excited about, even though Brian Fuller left. Um, now, renewed interest because they cast Doug Jones and also Michelle Yeoh. Is this uh, the CBS thing? This is the CBS Star Trek new series set outside of the J.J. Abrams universe. So it's so, it's been delayed a little bit, but I'm uh, still looking forward to what they so do. With this it. Does that mean it, uh, hold on outside the? Does that mean it's in the original timeline? It's in the original timeline. That was my question. Wow. Yeah. So where in the original timeline is it like TOS they, era they or is said. it the, the ship looks like TOS era, but they haven't said. So is it could, it, isn't there only the two timelines? Well, yeah, but it, but it could be like next post next generation. It could be next generation era. It could be era. Yes, but same yeah, timeline. Same timeline. Yeah. I would love to see it in the next generation timeline. Not post next generation timeline. I don't <laughs> post next generation is not. I want. I don't want Borg. I want Klingons and Romulans. So we don't even know when this show takes place. I didn't know that. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, and then also we have the season finale of Westworld this Sunday. That's right. Wait, really? Episode We're not going to talk about it until afterward. It's a ninety minute episode. If you want to hear. Uh, about an hour worth of Westworld conversation. I joined Annalie Newitz on her Decrypted podcast this week. It's on Ars Technica. And so you could check that out where we talk in depth about the revelations with mm. episode nine. You saw it, Jeremy? I'm too behind. Oh, you're too behind. Okay, yeah, then, that's about yeah. where I am. 
Um, and she does a great podcast. She interviewed, uh, she chatted with Jim McGonagall, I believe last week, uh, about game theory as it applies to Westworld. Yeah. Um, and then also had one of the writers slash producers, uh, story editors of the show, um, Charles Yu, on uh, the week before, talk about his contributions to the show. So really excited about that. Um, and then last bit of pop culture stuff. Uh, you guys put up your trees yet? No, man. It's it's, it's too This well, weekend. Some people do this it. This weekend's the day. Wait, wait, wait. Do you guys buy trees or do you guys have... have We've traditionally bought trees. We have done both in the past, but we are with the, with the birth of our child, we became a real tree family again. Yeah. So I this is my third year with the real tree. Yeah. And to make it worth your money, buying a real tree, the you've got to buy the tree as early as you can, so you have it as set up as long as you can. Because if we're talking about spending a hundred dollars on a Christmas tree, and that's how much they cost in the Bay Area these days, at least a hundred dollars to get like an eight foot tree. That's like $3 a day if you're just going to use it in the month of December. Look, I've got a life hack for you. What's your life hack? Don't go to tree lots to get your Christmas tree. Okay. You go to Lowe's or Home Depot. I've been to, you don't have, see them fully, fully you, flayed look, out. Look, Norm, you are a man of taste and, and discernment. You can walk down that line and you will be able to spot a winning tree from 50 feet away. I also suffer from buyer's remorse like no one else. <laughs> That's true. You do have and issues with that. And if I see a... If I can go into a tree lot and see one row of trees, 15 trees, and I can pick out the best one and know in my heart of hearts that's the best one and feel happy for a whole month, that will make my Christmas. If I go into Home Depot and see a pile of 200 wrapped up trees and gamble and find one that's not the best one Mm. with no returns, it's not easy getting a tree back and forth on a sedan. I used to be a professional tree man, Norm. I know. You know this. I know. Can you? Are you a tree whisperer? Can you walk into Home Depot uh, look, and look at the bundle and say, that tree, that's the one. You can look at those bundles and tell. You want a nice, even wrap? You want it real tight in there? You know where the holes are going to be. Well, you, look, you, you cut it open before you walk home with it. You look at it on site. The trick is reaching deep into the pile and using your your keen insight and instinct to rip the best tree out of that enormous pile. That takes real skill. That takes heart. That does take real skill. Um, I, I I am a big fan of the $55 tree from Home Depot. Yeah, yeah. The perfect I think I might be a big fan of artificial trees. I like artificial trees. Uh, going going forward. We've always done living trees, but I think from now on, we're actually not here for the holidays, so we might not get a tree this wow. year, which would be a first. But yeah, kind of moving forward, I'm kind, of, I'm kind of feeling the artificial tree. The problem with artificial trees is you buy it, you spend a lot of money, you think, oh, this is going to last forever, and then like four years later, it's all jacked up and you have to get a new one. Well, and, and also I invested in a tree stand, a nice wire cutter recommended tree did stand. You get the one, did you get the <laughs> German one with the, with, the, with the foot pedal? Yeah. That thing is amazing. I know, and, and it's, it was expensive, so I got to at least, that needs to be amortized over many years of having a real tree. Of spending more money yeah, what, what's, on a tree. Hold on, what's it called? I talked about it last year. I bought it. It's so good. I, I tilt it at the perfect angle, and it puts the boot onto the, uh, the and it, it's a really wide boot, too. I was afraid that the tree I got this year had a too wide up a, uh, um, a stump to fit, but it's, it's great. The Crinner Christmas Tree Genie XXL? Yes, yes, yes. The Tree Genie XXL. That's the recommended, as tested by both Will and Norm here at Tested. Uh, you should, if you're going to buy a real tree, that's the tree base so, to get. Make so sure you have a nice tree skirt, though. There's one thing about the Crinner that I don't like is that the cable that pulls, it has these teeth that get pulled in by a piece of wire cable. Mm-hmm. And the one that I have, if you put too much tension on it, the cable pops out. And then, then basically, like you have to rethread the cable. It's a, it's hard to rethread oh, the cable. I'm not gonna do that yet. I, I, but it's dramatically better than their runner-up choice, which is the Cinco C144E Express, which I also bought three years ago because it was a third the price, I think. Yeah, a third the price, 
and and now it it went out with the last yard sale. Avoid the avoid the Cinco, get the critter. That's what I say. Speaking of Christmas tree technology. Yes. Now, of course, after Thanksgiving, uh, in addition to buying a tree, which I recommend buying a tree on the weekend after Thanksgiving, I think that's the earliest you can. Buy a tree and be reasonable. Don't buy it after Halloween because you're it, crazy. Keep water in that thing. Norm. Same with the music, right? You can't yes, play music exactly, before. Exactly. Get it for the full month and a, a week. A month, month and a half. Five weeks of trees, great. Uh, maybe you know, weekends the new year and then throw it away. I, I went to Michael's to get craft stuff to do with my daughter over the holiday, like Thanksgiving stuff, the weekend before Thanksgiving. All of their Thanksgiving stuff had been gone for a month at that point. If you want to buy Thanksgiving stuff now, you have to buy it before Halloween is what they told me in the store. That's crazy. Um, yeah. Now, since we are in the technology news segment, did you guys partake in purchasing, consuming any technology during the Black Friday no. shopping holiday? I bought some Blu-rays. You know, it, Black you, Friday feels less and less relevant. Why? Be, as an sh- outdoor shopping experience? Or, because, or because just as all, a shopping experience. Because it's all online? Even that's online. There are deals throughout the year. Nothing really uh-huh. jumped out. Uh, Wirecutter did their thing where they, you know, sorted through thousands of deals and found fifty, I believe, mm. that were actually good. And at that point, it wasn't really worth it to stay online and waste the holiday trying to shop for things. I bought a mouse bungee. What's a mouse bungee? You know that little remember those little stands you used to have to get the cord up Above? off the off really? the table. Was it a novelty one? It's. I bought the razor one. It's pretty nice. I really like it. It turns out I. I. It's good. I wouldn't have ever thought I liked it, but. I've been having wrist problems, and somebody was like, hey, you should get the cord off of the desk. It helps the mouse be a little bit easier to move. Turns out they were right. Wow. Okay. It was $8. All right. Did you? Uh, did you buy anything? I did, um, and it wasn't like a best deal. It was just the thing I needed. Yep. Uh, I had housemates move out, and they took their, the movie server with them, the Plex server. Uh-oh. So oh. uh, I invested in a uh, QNAP server for a little drive. A little NAS box. Yeah, NAS box. Yeah, I, I have a QNAP. Yeah. It's good. It's very stable. Do you have a, a two-drive or a four-drive? Five. Five. Wow. I think it might be a raid. Yeah, I'm not sure. So I got the four-one, four, four and I'm um, hoping to use that as my uh, both movie and photo storage because I'm running out of all storage on my local drives. Yeah. The photo Personal storage, drives. like, like, are, are you using a cloud backup for photos, too, or you put them on Google Photos or yeah, iCloud or anything? I have lots of external hard drives filled with photos. He's, you know, all about the raw, high-res. Well, no, I'm using, gonna, I have backlays. Okay, and, and everything gets sent from my drives up to Backblaze also, but I don't store in like any photo bucket type things. Okay, like no smug mug type. Archiving. The Google Photos is surprisingly good, and you can store your raws there. Now. They're free for like sixteen hundred by twelve hundred. It's free for whatever their good quality is, which is bad. It's like fifty bucks a year for a terabyte, mm. which is a lot for not, photos. Not good enough. I'm shooting tens of megapixels. You're you're a special case, Storm. Yeah, uh, but I'm excited to set that QNAP up. Now, have you had any issues, Jeremy, with mm. encoding on that QNAP? Because the reviews say uh, on... Encoding. Like, transcoding. Uh, transcoding, sorry. Transcoding video. Oh, like live fly. transcoding yeah. stuff? Um, I typically just stream the raw file. Mm-hmm. Um, I With my older one, I did have trouble with that. Um, and so... I can't even remember. Like, I did install Plex on the new one, but I'm not sure I even have used it yet. Right. Do you copy? You don't copy movies. Like, see, I the main thing I use Plex for is to copy movies to the kiddo's iPad. Like, when we go on a trip someplace where we're not going to have internet. Right. And and that on the NAS, like, that's why I have it on a real PC instead of a NAS box. Because the real PC 
does it in like 20 minutes. It's also a little more power hungry. I mean, yeah, I'm probably spending $20 a month in electricity on that thing. Just on the server. Yeah. But what's nice is there's a file browser. So you can actually just browse your file system using any web browser. Oh, that's nice. And download whatever you need. Yeah. Uh, Well, speaking of traveling and needing movies, just available now, today, Netflix finally has offline viewing, downloads available. It works on iOS and Android, and it works globally for all you international Netflix subscribers. It's something they announced a while back. Well, they kind of hinted it. They kind of teased it, yeah. I think this is great because for months now, my wife has been watching shows, and she gets frustrated when she goes on a plane, and she doesn't want to, you know, she might not have Wi-Fi. They don't let you stream Netflix on planes. Uh, and I say, well, is it on Amazon? Because Amazon Prime does let you download, has always let yep. you download, you know, movies or shows that you get for for streaming there. So this is great. I don't. I think I can't wait to tell her about this. Is this the complete catalog, or is it some subset? Is there are there I think gaps? It's the complete catalog. That's really nice. And you can select quality settings. <clears throat> There's two quality settings, as I understand it. Um, well, Netflix has a ton of quality settings. I think I don't know how many they show because I haven't downloaded the app yet. How many they show and make transparent mm. to the users with the whole my downloads section um but the question is how is this how i mean it's i i guess there's no way to check to see if you were just signing up for accounts you sharing accounts and then downloading you know big libraries of and sharing they're gonna gate the, like they'll they'll the downside of this is that probably the number of clients you can have connected what is less now what do you mean sharing like sharing an p- account password if we shared a Netflix account and, oh, I, I, see what you mean. and I wanted to watch a new uh, season of House of Cards, I would just download it all into my iPad and then log off. Right, because so, they cap the number of people who can stream simultaneously. But yes. you're saying this kind of this could bypass that. Well, but it, and it's not logging off of Netflix. You'd have to turn off the internet connection on your device, which yeah. like I'm not going to turn the internet connection on my phone off to avoid paying $7, $9 a month or whatever it is to, right. to Netflix. I think what they're believing, what they're trusting is that the inconvenience of it, the number of people who would do this is so low and those people are pirating the shows anyway. It's better to make their service better and get people to subscribe. I think that's, I mean, I think that's a, like making that service better makes me more likely to keep it in an increasingly complicated online streaming world. Well, I can certainly track how many people log in and download stuff too. So, I mean, th- you know, if potentially there's somebody taking advantage of it, they could shut it down. Yeah. I think it's great. Uh, any other Black Friday buys? You guys nothing, not bought nothing on Black, on, on Black Friday, Cyber Monday? I bought the Jungle Book. Uh, the okay. John Favreau one on Blu-ray. Is oh. it good? I don't know. I haven't watched it yet. I bought it for the kid. Oh god! On the airplane, I watched The Legend of Tarzan. Well, that sounded bad. It was a mistake. Yeah, even on, that's like there's movies that are good to bad movies that are good to watch on airplanes, and that does not seem like one of those even. Yeah. Uh, what I did not buy was and was unable to buy was the Nest Classic. Yeah, you and everyone else. Yeah, yeah that sold out within minutes, seconds I, online. You think? I think it, after we recorded Still Untitled last week, I went over and grabbed lunch and was sitting there at lunch mashing the button on Amazon to get it, and it was just gone. Do you think that this is a Wii kind of thing from Nintendo where they purposely made only a few of them their controlling supply in order to increase the press and demand? I don't. I think that saying that they did that for the Wii is disingenuous. Dude, the freaking thing was out of stock for years. For a year. No, it was more than a year. It was like beyond the second Christmas. But if you look at the, if you look at the, that was the complexity. No way, man. Yes. Why would you trickle them out like that if you could sell them? Because, they make money on consoles. They make money on hardware. It was like a, an event. It got news every time they were in stock anywhere. Yeah. Everybody wanted them because they couldn't have them. I think it's much better to sell the products that people want than no, to I mean, keep okay. them from having. The so products it, that people a lot of that has to do with distribution channels. And if it would work, the argument would work if 
in the peak, like the mo, like you know, five days before Christmas, three days before Christmas, they suddenly unloaded, like opened up their supply and let everyone, yeah. who, all that pent up demand, actually be fulfilled. But you can't. That's not how distribution works, dude. There is no way that they couldn't satisfy demand Look, for over a year. They had still on die accelerometers, which remember this was like two thousand six. Before the rise of the modern smartphone, silicon-based accelerometers were a novelty part. Look, I'm just saying this is okay. You're we're never going to get to the bottom. You're of this. sounding. You're sounding like. Uh, what about those chemtrails, Jeremy? I understand if they can't do it for the first holiday, but a year later, it makes no sense. Once they establish what the demand was, they shot this is Nintendo. It's just like the moon landings, man. They shot it on a soundstage in Ventura Beach. Everybody knows it. It served them well. well look, whatever. Let's anyway, the, the you're, you're saying that they did not constrain, you know, supply. supply. For this, that they I'm actually, saying that they built what they thought they could sell, and then it turns out way more people wanted so them than they more expected. demand than they expected. Yes, and I think, I think for, that's always what happens in these cases. I, I don't know if the, the case. So if that was the case in that's classic, then it was willful ignorance because people were clamoring for it the moment they announced it. Stupid. I mean, the mistake is that they didn't allow pre-orders, then, which allowing pre-orders would give them a, a, an upfront judge of demand. And and but everybody knows that Nintendo is bad at uh, like modern life in all important ways. So I, I don't I don't know. Like I don't pretend to know. I I'm super interested in this. I wish that they had a USB port on it so that you could put more games on wireless would, game pads. That would, they should have had wireless game pads. I mean, but it's sixty bucks. No, they should have had wireless game pads. The things are what two and a half feet. Yeah, but the cables. But Bluetooth SNES controllers are like thirty-five bucks each. That would have made those incredibly more expensive. Well, whatever. They're mass-producing them. I mean, and it doesn't have to be Bluetooth. Yeah, whatever. They should have been wireless because it's a modern device. Has HDMI out. Should have wireless controllers. Or at least USB. Did Did Nintendo do something to you? So much. You guys are so wrong on this whole Nintendo subject. I don't know. I did not expect this from you guys. What 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 did Nintendo what did Nintendo do to you, Jeremy? Nothing. Other than they, you know, like my wife had to go buy a Wii at midnight from Walmart for me for Christmas. Had to. They were, they were had to. Impossible to get. <laughs> I just I just walked up to the GameSpot over in Colma. On I saw a line there one day. And I walked up. I got in the line. And I got a pre-order right there. Got it on day one. No me problem. Me too. Yeah. yeah I target. got one for you at the yeah. same time. Yeah. yeah. Two targets. Well, we were yeah. in, we were in Chicago. There wasn't much happening out there. Well. So you made your wife go stand out in the cold to get you a weave. I didn't Christmas. make her. She did it. She's wonderful. Ice cold. She's man. wonderful. She is, she is a delightful. I'll lady. never forget it. Um, yeah, I, I, like, it's interesting. That thing is interesting to me on so many different levels because it's it is it is such a weird piece of hardware, and the fact that people are going bonkers for it is is really interesting to me. Given that you know. It, Five minutes in an emulator, and you could do kind of the same thing. It's not exactly the same. It's though. the it's the giftable nature of it. Yeah, absolutely, and it's the beauty, like the beautiful object. It's a tiny nest, well, which who doesn't want a small, cute nest? And and like I'm totally fine setting up the emulator and playing with that. My my daughter is has been has gotten really into Mario in the last month and a half, and we're going through like the history of Mario games. Wow, which is awesome. I would totally get that. Just so that she can play Mario one, two, and three yeah. in a way that doesn't involve me either firing up the Wii and going to the virtual console stuff, or setting up the emulator machine with all the gamepad and rigmarole that comes with that. But she has to sit two and a half feet from the screen. I mean, she does that anyway. So that's, <laughs> like she literally lays there with the Wii U gamepad six <laughs> inches from her face on her back, in the exact same way. I like I want to yell at her and say, "Don't hold that so close to your face." And I'm like, "Wait, I sound like my mom." No. Uh, 
what do you guys think about the fact that you can't put new games on this? Do you like that it's a self-contained, curated I, First thing I wanted package? to do uh, was I wanted to see the explosion. I wanted to see the, the dismantlement. Mm-hmm. And I fix it, or somebody did one. Yeah. And yeah, there's like no clear way to hack more games on there. Well, I was right. really hoping there would be. There's pads for a USB port on the board, as I understand it, but there's no USB mm. port soldered onto those pads. Probably for debugging. Yeah. Mm. Or, or for, yeah. Injecting. We'll see. Yeah. I mean, somebody eventually will figure out a way to do it. The interface is really cool. I mean, it's like an 8-bit, well-done Nintendo interface. So I'd love to be able to expand that. Now, there's also a Famicom version. This is this is the this is the thing that I there's a Japanese think is super classic cool. version that's a different form factor and has a different selection of games. It's shaped like the original Famicom, the red and white one. The controllers nest into the side. The, they did the dumbest possible thing and hardwired the controllers into the console, just like the original Famicom was, which is just just hostile. I didn't know the original Famicom had hardwired. Uh, I I found out about it because of this. That's interesting. Um, and it's a different list of games. So, uh, slightly different. So the U.S. version, the U.S. Uh, the big one for me is I think River City Ransom is not on the U.S. version and it is on the Japanese version. Uh-huh. Uh So yeah. Now, uh, of course, the rumors are and speculation is that Nintendo's maybe next year will do a SNES version of a classic. Yeah, I can see that. And that's the one I would want. Oh, I don't think we're gonna get wireless controllers there either. You were from the SNES generation. Yes, yeah. I was definitely I mean, from the SNES generation, and uh, more, more games. I mean, those games have aged better. Yeah, for yeah. the most part, classic. Well, it only Super comes Mario with one World. controller, right? Yeah, but the other one's ten bucks. You can use your that's classic what gamepad so, pro. This gets back to my wireless, my wireless argument. It's just one controller, and then you just maybe you increase the price of the extras by ten bucks. Yep. I mean, there are a lot of mistakes made with this product. I think that it's it's interesting that it had the resonance that it did. Yeah. What games? What games would you must have on the SNES version? Oh God. Um, I think you could do a SNES version of just the Mario games. Super Mario World, Mario Kart, All Mario Stars, RPG. Tennis. Uh, yeah, not Mario Paint, There was just the one Super Mario game, right? Super Mario World. That's well, no, it. and then there, were, there was Yoshi's Island, yeah, but, which yeah, is yeah, Super yeah, Mario yeah. World 2. Spin-off. Uh, but if you're, if you're talking about the... There's, I would put Star Fox, Donkey Kong, Donkey Kong uh, Chrono Trigger. Um, Pilot Wings. Yep. Uh, it's yeah. a bad game. There's, there's a, Ma- Mario... Like, I would play just Mario Kart. To be honest, that Mario Kart still holds up. I liked well. Diddy Kong Racing myself. There's Diddy more Kong verticality. But Diddy Kong Racing was a N64 game. Oh, was it? Yeah. No. Okay, never mind. There's about... no verticality. No. It's more all flat. Games. Yeah. Yeah. F Zero. Yeah. Yeah. What uh, Super Castlevania, Super Metroid, Street Fighter. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. Was um, that good on that on on the SNES? I, I don't that's think how, so. I played it. Oh. I I didn't. I I was not. I did not. I was not into those games. The babalities with Mortal Kombat. That was like a Genesis thing, right? No, babalities were on. Maybe, maybe it was actually. I can't remember. Contra, Super Contra, Super, Super Contra. C. Oh God, I love Super Contra. That Super C might have been a NES game. Uh no, I don't know. There's there's a Contra that lets you do top down. Link to the Past. Yeah, yeah. Final Zelda Fantasy game. three slash yep. six. Wait, was that Link to the Past? That was the big uh, Zelda game. Link on to the Past SNES? was the only Zelda game on the SNES. No kidding. Yeah, I didn't own a SNES. That was the what? generation I skipped what? it. I just skipped it. You missed the greatest console. I had Atari and I had the NES and then I went to the Super. No, then I went to the N sixty four. N sixty four. Oh man, the SNES. You you need to get a SNES more than anything. No, I mean I played the games, but That's they just don't have same. any nostalgia for me. Uh, I'm going to do a random tangent. Kind of belongs in the pop culture, um, pop culture talk. But uh, I did see a movie in the past couple of weeks that I was wondering if you had seen, Jeremy. Now you, of course, have seen King of Kong. Of course, uh, classic, classic film. Now Steve Weeby. Steve Weeby. 
uh, the director has gone to actually make other non-documentary films, but about Twin Galaxies yeah. and the competitive Hong Kong arena brought the, the Billy Mitchell to our world, uh, which Billy is Mitchell. like I mean, that's that's the single greatest achievement that film ever did. <laughs> you know, there is a fall, a, a spiritual follow-up to King of Kong. Didn't know that. Called Man vs. Snake. Mm. Is this about the guy that put the armor on and tried to get inside the anaconda? This is not the no. This is not the discovery. Is that <laughs> no? true? That's the yeah, thing that was, happened. Yeah, there was, was a, a bad was idea. A discovery stunt where this this <laughs> guy designed a armor that he could get swallowed whole by anaconda. And big spoiler, it was hugely hyped up. He didn't get swallowed by the anaconda. He, he barely made it in, and then he was afraid it would hurt the anaconda, and then so they aborted. Uh-huh. Well, well, he, he was afraid it would hurt the anaconda. It. That occurred to him at that point. Yes. <laughs> Okay. Minutes into it, no, mental giant. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Man vs. Snake is a—it's a new documentary film about competitive nibbler. Really, nibbler, which is the original the snake, snake game. game. Yes, the one that the the Nokia snake game is based on. Now, it's nibbler uh, is 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 a interesting game God, this because great. It sounds it's like the a first one. No, it's real. Yeah. It's, it's <laughs> the first game. Guessed. It's yeah, a so first game. That lets you achieve a billion points in a game because it was the first oh. one that had more than nine uh, digits. Mm. Look, the numbers go all the way to here, and of course, this one goes to eleven. So <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'm, I'm not because the the uh, documentary is incredible. I love, love, love this documentary. So, um, of course, the reason it ties to Game Kong is that the world champion nibbler player, the first person ever to pass a billion also originated in the hometown of Twin Galaxies under oh. Walter Day's tutelage. So Walter Day comes back out, and he was a contemporary of Billy Mitchell. And Billy Mitchell, <laughs> legend oh was it. Hot Sauce King Billy Mitchell? Hot Sauce King, was, he, he makes an appearance. In this, he, he was the one who egged him on, to encouraged him to continue playing. He played for two days straight. Oh, I love this stuff. To oh, get a billion points, and then he just walked away. And then he walked away <gasps> before, like he he had lives left. He had lives and left. Was just like I can't. And do he it walked anymore. away and wanted to, and wanted some uh, but wanted a burrito or something. Didn't his snake get bigger and bigger? Yeah. So the, the, the big it gets to a point where it's too big, and then it's just you you have to lose points, but you gain lives more than you lose lives. Uh, so and the he way restarted. and okay. the way you can actually it's all about lives, right? So the way you can play a marathon version of this is that. You just build up your lives, and if you have like fifty mans left, yeah. then you can just walk away, take a pee break, take a nap break, and let your lives slowly drain. A classic Billy cl- Mitchell move, <laughs> exactly. And then and then come back and play. And so there's like, and then, wow, it's so he he achieved that in, in the eighties, in the eight, 1983. and the documentary is about him coming back <laughs> thirty years later to try to get his score back because there's in controversy about who actually has the highest nibbler score oh, in the world. This is great, man. So, so here, the, can't wait. But I mean, the thing about King of Kong is that everybody knows Donkey Kong, right? We've all played Donkey Kong. We all played the first level. Most people can kind of master the second level, and then that third level screws everyone over. But watching King of Kong actually made me able to consistently beat the third level. Which made me a better Donkey Kong player. Oh yeah, you don't. Want, there's no desire. There's no strategy. I don't of ever want to no, play no, Nibbler no, again. This, this doesn't. Yeah, the documentary does not make you want to play Nibbler. But the characters in this documentary, there are villains. You mean the people? There are heroes. I would say that that's what's great about King of Kong. And it, it is a dramatic. St- and in the way, I mean, it, like all documentaries, it's it's the vision of the filmmakers. They tell the story they want to tell. You know, and you know. I, 
I guess I'm saying with King of Kong, we've all been Steve Weeby. We've all faced that third board. Yeah, no one, no and one really we've all relates. looked at it. And none of us, right. none of us thought, oh man, I should take a grease pencil on my Donkey Kong cabinet and mark the path of the rivets so that I, I know how to get past them. So here's here's the kicker: the hero, the protagonist of this documentary, mm-hmm. the kid who scored the first billion point score in a video game in 83 in 83 and tries to come back and do it in this documentary yeah against all odds and against enemies and villains his name timothy mcveigh <laughs> <laughs> oh man yeah. and i thought i had it bad <laughs> you're right oh that poor bastard i know wow uh, that's I, great I man cannot, so it's on netflix it's I can on recommend. netflix it's on i can download it netflix. right now you can download it as we're listening to the podcast this is awesome. and watch it i cannot recommend it highly enough i i apologize that it, that it slipped my mind when we recorded the podcast last but man versus uh, snake man versus snake <laughs> and it is your watching homework this weekend if you have netflix you guys got to watch it and it's a perfect pairing with king of kong i love a perfect pairing i love a good pairing movie yeah. pairing you know yeah. There as soon as go. I boot up Netflix, I get a download and go download in- Whoa, information wow. screen. Yeah, but makes that 256 gig iPhone suddenly worthwhile. Right on. Uh, so, did you guys hear about that Tesla? Um, as soon as they bought Solar City, the deal's acquired done. It, they announced to the world, "Oh, we're already powering an entire island." So, what happens at night? This is no. They have their Tesla power packs. Yeah. So they have, they have, yeah, they have a whole array of them, like 60 of them, that's powering the island 100% all the time. What happens this is the somebody... equivalent of Elon opening up the volcano and saying GoldenEye <laughs> is activated, right? <laughs> what, like, what happens, if, what happens if somebody runs their, leaves their hairdryer on or something and, and like, they run the battery down? Is, right. that, is that not a real threat? Well, it's in American Samoa, okay? So it's a perfect condition this is like i don't understand what that means it's in it's near tahiti right i mean it's it's like it's oh it's equatorial it's, it's perfect weather all okay. the time sunny and it's a small island there's only you know there's less than i don't know what uh, 600 yeah 600 people on the island so okay the, their energy needs are not that great but they had been burning diesel fuel uh 300 gallons a day in order to power the island that doesn't seem like that much well but now they have to burn nothing well okay i mean the, it's infinitely better, but 300 <laughs> gallons a day for 600 people right. seems so, like a really in, insignificant well, amount that's of fuel. What I'm we're like, talking about millions of barrels being imported a day. Right, and, that, so, and they would sometimes get delays. The ships couldn't get there, so they would have to... Like ration? Yeah, exactly, ration the power. That and sucks. So now that's not a problem anymore, and I guess they're not probably not running too many hair dryers or too many... Like they're, they're not running their Plex server in the garage GTX 24-7? GTX 1080s, yeah. What, uh, what's the... What's the uh, are they using those cool like roof panels, the ones that look like normal shingles? No, the standard solar panels. Okay. But it's, you know, it's just brilliant. I mean, Could it's... give rise to that island's first supervillain to <laughs> tempest well, I mean... up and... and... And take power away from the the good people. The, you know, the, the monorail, the monorail don't run on fumes. You know, he, he's got his he's got his his volcano layer. That's mm-hmm. where Elon's volcano layer has to be, right? It's in American Samoa. Uh, solar energy microgrid that at one point four megawatts can cover what? nearly one hundred percent of their electrical needs. One point four megawatts. Like I know people in San Mateo that have houses that use one point four megawatts with an electric car or two. I don't know about that, dude. A day. Maybe not a day. I don't know. I'd have to ask. 5,328 solar panels and 60 Tesla power packs. Okay. So, and this is, you know, they built this up already. So this is maybe not even the latest generation stuff. When you say 60 power packs, do you mean like the consumer ones or do you mean the big giant huge ones? Like the, like they only have one now. Like, no, they have, they have like an industrial city scale one too. Oh, right. No, I don't actually know. That's a good question. 
Hmm. That's cool. Now, uh, well, yeah, Fu- the future is here. Future is now, already in American Samoa. Uh, there's no way to properly segue this, but Will, I'm glad you're here this week because I wanted to ask you about um, about kitchen hardware, kitchen yeah. technology, and centrifuges in the kitchen. My what are they used for? Tomorrow. And uh, or your your chef steps jewel. Yeah, my jewel. Oh, I'm yeah. excited. Yeah. Um, what are centrifuges used for, and is there any reason a home chef might want a centrifuge? So as you might remember from our 2012 visit to modernist cuisine or our 2014, I guess, 2015 visit to Chef Steps, uh, you can use centrifuges to separate different uh, densities of liquids from each other. So, for example, at modernist, we separated... Uh, the lipids and proteins in pea from the starch. The, these are not, this is pea as in green peas. Well, I mean, I guess it would work with normal urine as well, but okay. we were using peas. Yep. Fro- frozen peas, they pureed frozen peas. We ran them in the centrifuge for a, a fairly significant length of time. And and then you ended up getting a separated, all the materials in, in the pea separated. So you had at the top uh, a pure liquid that was uh, kind of tasted like... <laughs> pea water. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a very strongly flavored uh, pea flavor, but uh, but but was just clear like water. Next was down was this thin layer of fats that they called pea butter that spread like butter. It felt like butter. It was it was all the all the fat from inside the pea, which is a relatively insignificant portion of a normal pea. And then below that was the starch, which is all the white stuff that's inside the pea when you chomp it. And that pea butter and the pea the pea water on the top both had really intense flavors and were really interesting. You can make a soup with one and a exactly. spread with the other. Yeah, the, the the pea butter spread like normal butter, and it tasted like it tasted like spring. It tasted like the most intense pea flavor you've ever tasted. It was well, really good. If you want to make your own pea butter at home, uh, the people at Booker and Dax, which is Dave Arnold's company. Uh, they made the Searsall. We visited them also uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, they announced a crowdfunding campaign for a home centrifuge machine called the Spinzall. Really? Now it's called it's seven hundred dollars, but it looks like a food processor. It doesn't require you having uh, a bunch of. Um, uh, Usually centrifuges are pretty big. Yeah. So this is small. They call they say it's portable, and it's yeah, and you can make half a liter of. But we can put half flavor of puree in there. So, so normally, if when we went and visited Scott Heimendinger in his basement food lab in Seattle, he had a centrifuge that was like a decommissioned laboratory centrifuge uh, that was it was one of the smaller ones I've ever seen, but it was still very large. Mm-hmm. Um, and and this is. Uh, substantially smaller, it looks like, from the pictures. We haven't seen it in person yet. Yeah. Uh, there's some videos of it online, but there's a whole... Uh, if you search Spinzall, S-P-I-N-Z-A-L-L, I think they're looking for backers to to get it. So if you're someone who wants to experiment with having a centrifuge at home, um, I wonder if you could use it. Is there any practical reason to use use it outside of the kitchen? Uh, I mean, if you want to, like, separate isotopes for, to refine... I think those uh, are a little a different kind of or something like that. No, it's the same, same technology. Same technology? All right, there you go. Um, the, so the thing the thing about the centrifuge is if you were looking... For, if you were in the market for one as, like, lab surplus, you're looking at that price or more for what looks like a less capable device. So... This is like the salad thing I used to have. Put a bunch of lettuce in the salad spin thinner. much faster than that. And it would spin it and get the water out. Yeah. It's exactly like that, but, but much, much, but much. enough to separate the lipids and the starch from the lettuce if wow. you pureed it first. Dense parts of materials um, and liquid parts. So the thing that Dave used to use the centrifuge for, or became famous for using the centrifuge for, was he made a clarified gin and juice, 
which was grapefruit juice that he clarified. So he spun all of the solids out of the grapefruit juice and ended up with just like this pure grapefruit essence. And um, he would use that to then make a, a gin and juice at Booker and Dax. Lay back days. with my mind on my money and my, my money, money on, on my, my mind. mind. Uh, Man vs. Snake. More movies like this, says Netflix. Mascots by Christopher Guest. I saw oh. it. You know, not as not not the worst one. one. I think yeah. the worst one. Yeah, yeah. I, I wasn't a huge fan of mascots. Yeah. Um, have we talked? About, have you guys talked about? Did you talk about the Muni Hack yet? No, this happened over the weekend in San Francisco. Uh, our public transportation system was hacksawed. Yeah. So the uh, the basically they got infected with ransomware. I uh, there's no the Muni staff that responded on social media and to the news seemed kind of flummoxed. By the whole thing? I haven't heard anything about this. Um, Catch me up. So they were infected. Muni's machines were infected with ransomware, presumably at headquarters, but also the payment processing stations in stations across the city. And the uh, scene, the the screen said, uh, showed like a command prompt or terminal window and just you hacked with an email address. Wait. uh, Your, Your data is encrypted. Email this address to get it back. Not the ticket booths. The ticket booths. Oh, my God. Yeah. So the thing that you put your credit card into to get a Muni pass or yeah. add money to your Clipper card were hacked. Bart was okay. So in San Francisco, we have two mass. Well, we have multiple mass transit systems. The two train ones and our uh, Bart, which goes between Oakland and and San Francisco and the East Bay and like all the way out to Walnut Creek, and then Muni, which is like the light rail and bus system inside the city. So basically, all weekend while they were fixing this problem, the Muni system was open for free. Uh, for free use by anybody without having to buy a ticket. Oh. But like the idea that the ticket processing stuff and and all that is accessible to someone to install ransomware. Now, like, look, the number of ways for that to get in, it could have been as simple as somebody downloading something on their computer at work and then that computer being the one that they used to do firmware updates to the terminals and the terminal the terminal firmware update going out with the same infection that was on the on the PC at work in the office but it, it's a little bit scary from just a future dystopian everything's run by computers the whole world is made of software and oh by the way that that's also a bad thing have they verified that any information was stolen credit card numbers i don't know don't see. So when I got up to the ticket booth, it already said you hacked. It said you hacked. So it's not. They didn't wait till I inserted my card. No, you right. just. It was just jacked up. Hmm. You know. Um, it so it says somebody else. So Brian Krebs, the the Krebs on security guy, who's one of the premier uh, cybersecurity reporters, uh, said that somebody else infiltrated the Muni hacker's own email. Uh, using the ransom note provided on the screen, and uh, this guy wanted a hundred bitcoins to unhijack the transit system. Wow. So hmm. um, it was cryptome twenty seven at yandex dot com. You could have given him a half a bitcoin. No, you still have it. Oh yeah. What, what is the value what, of a bitcoin? What's, yeah, what's that? You know, the, I still look back on the day that we spent waiting for your bitcoin to come back. Holy moly! What? Seven hundred forty three dollars. I'm the black. <laughs> If Black Friday strikes again. So if you had invested that in, say, the stock market at the same time, what's it would the be worth, stock market? You know, the, but you bought you buy turnips from that woman on Sunday afternoon. Mm-hmm. And the thing that's Thursday. at an all time high right now, you know, <laughs> the that, that stock thing. market. Yeah, the stock market. The stock market. Um, wow. 
Yeah. Cash it in. W- oh, 700. It was at one point. I think we got it for what? Four, $400, four, $500. Um, I got to look at that chart here. Woo. $743. Ooh, you're doing very it, well for yourself. Once it hits at 800, I might, I might be tempted to sell. Getting out. What's your tax situation on Bitcoin? trans? you have to report that? I don't know. I'm not going to talk Just about don't it. Don't talk anymore. about it. On, okay. We're not accountants. Yeah. Um, um, watching that, watching that garage get dismantled while drinking beer and waiting for your Bitcoin to come through. The, uh, one of the greatest afternoons of my life, yes. like for simple pleasures. Yes. South by Southwest. <laughs> a three-story concrete garage getting jackhammered down while we can sit and just drink all the beer we wait while we wait for Norm's Bitcoin was a good day. Yeah, and I still didn't get it. it still didn't get fulfilled until nope. we, after we got back. From. Should have paid three cents for the miners' fee. Who knew? What is Directv now? Oh, so for cord cutters, and I'm actually. In potentially in the market for this, so uh, AT and T, which owns Directv, uh, they uh, announced a while back that they would have this PlayStation View competitor, like Sling TV competitor, over, um, their uh, cable replacement a la carte service. Um, you would get up to a hundred channels, including premium channels, I think, um, for thirty-five dollars a month. Oh, that's good. Right, including HBO and stuff, or like I don't know if it includes stars. HBO. I think yeah. It's, it, so, but they actually, they now it's going live today and it's the $35 a month is actually a limited time offer. Okay. So limited time, like you sign up for that and you get that offer forever or it's only good for six months. And no, no, it's, uh, it's $5 extra for HBO. So HBO is what you don't get with That's the, a pretty um, good deal though. Yeah. Because yeah, HBO by itself $5, is 15, right? right. $5 and yeah. in, in Cinemax. HBO is, now. Uh, so, um, let me uh, let me actually. There's get no the DVR as I understand detail. it, though, right? Yeah, there's no good DVR, so uh, it's not as functional as PlayStation View. You get two simultaneous streams. You have to pay more for more streams at once. Uh, the offer for 100 channels is only good if you sign up soon, but it will be 35 dollars indefinitely for you. Hmm. Um, but the standard package is, it goes up to 60 dollars a month if you um, if you wait. If you wait. Yeah. So so the problem with this though isn't the service. It seems like the problem is that AT&T is bundling it with their internet service on both mobile and uh, landlines. Now, I, that's the question. Can you get it without AT&T internet? I thought the, the, the whole point of having an over-the-top service is that you don't have to have I, service. AT&T with, does home internet? Yeah. yeah. You can get DSL from U-verse AT&T. Or U-verse. U-verse. Oh, yeah, it's like fancy DSL huh. or occasionally fiber, but mostly DSL. The um the the thing that the Verge and, and other tech sites have reported on is that basically this is much like T-Mobile's what what is it their zero zero whatever plan where you get Spotify access for um where your Spotify doesn't count for toward your T-Mobile data cap uh, this Directv service doesn't count toward your data caps on AT and T services so. Wait, if, wait. So no, Directv now will work on any internet connection. That's my understanding. Yeah, yeah but it will be exempt from AT and T's internet connections, right, which is a net neutrality yes, thing. Yes, exactly. So, so the point is, they're they're basically giving people a little bit of what they want, so that they can continue bundling their services um, in in a way that is more reminiscent of, say, cable net t- cable TV in the eighties, nineties, and two thousands than the open free internet that we've become accustomed to. Mm. Now, the reason I'm in the market for this is... Because you hate the internet? Well, I hate Comcast. Everybody hates Comcast. And Sonic Gigabit is available in my home for $50 Fuck yeah. Oh, you found out. Yes, at home. And that's uncapped. And that's, I believe, uncapped Gigabit. So I would... I'm 
tempted to go 50 bucks a month sonic gigabit internet. $50? Yeah. No. Dude. For 100 megabit each way? Or gigabit each gigabit. way? Gigabit. Each way? I don't know about each way. You're going to have better internet there than you have at the office. I have much better. Dude, I pay 80 bucks for like 100 megabit. I pay I pay 90 bucks for 120 megabit. And I am constantly being harassed by Comcast for the one terabyte uh, for Dude, the caps. Dude, you too? I just started getting these notices. I didn't even know there was a cap, but there's a one terabyte cap. They sent you an email to your Comcast account in October 24th. Which I don't use, spam account. And I had no idea. And now I I didn't even know they could do this. I'm browsing the web, some random web page. They they give me a pop up into a random web page somehow. Yep. That's freaky technology. So I called them when I got that pop up and said, hey, I didn't know about this cap thing. What the fuck's going on? And they said, oh, yeah, we we sent you an email on blah, 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 and sent you a paper letter on such and such a date. And I was like, okay, sorry. And then they said you get two freebie months yep. where you can go over. But if you need to sign up for the for the unlimited after that, then you have to do it 50. at the first of the month, and it's 50 bucks. They won't prorate it over the course of the month. So if you go over, as I did, on the 8th of the month, because I'm uploading a few terabytes of movies to the internet right now, then my option was pay $10 per 20 gigabytes for the remainder of the month. To put this in perspective, Call of Duty Infinite Warfare was 150 gigabytes with the, the Modern Warfare, with the Modern Warfare bonus remaster. Yeah. So, like, that's 15% of your overall cap for the month, which is insane. It, this technology where they're injecting a pop up into my web page, the only thing I've ever seen like that is, you know, some sort of malware. Mm-hmm. Well, I, they, they do it on the server side. No, no the, doubt. But I, of side. course, thought it was malware. Yeah. I thought I mean, it was. I mean, it was. Fake. It's Comcast. It's crazy. I would love to get this gigabit. You you yeah. need to move to the sunset. Well, it's it's a gigabit download. I don't know what the what they're promising for uploads, and because it's, it's a residential, not business, they're not guaranteed speeds. Right. But you can pay two hundred bucks a month to get their their business service, and though. it wouldn't be a gigabit. It would be hundred megabits. Yeah, hundred megabits for That's guaranteed still, speeds. Yeah. Uh, but it's very tempting to get gigabit potential fiber for fifty bucks a month at home, plus pay thirty five bucks for Direct TV for the hundred channels. I am really conflicted right now. So because. You have to, the reason is I would have to watch it through an Apple TV or something, like their app, and I hate app-based live TV. I actually am almost exclusively watching app-based live TV now on the Apple TV or uh, Roku. The the thing, so the thing, I don't have a problem with them doing internet fast lanes and and unmetered, you know, partner connections and stuff like that, as long as there's competition on the local level. Is real competition amongst ISPs. So you're in a situation where you have Comcast, AT&T, and Sonic. One of them offers a demonstrably superior service, and you can tell the other two to go pound sand. In my neighborhood, and presumably in Jeremy's neighborhood, our only choice for faster than 10 megabit internet, which is barely broadband in 2016, is Comcast. And you know the, the metered connections and all the bullshit they make you jump through, and the bundling is, is untoward and, and anti-competitive. I love that on Sonic's website, the the way they demonstrate how fast gigabit is, communicate how fast gigabit is to potential new customers who don't understand the potential gigabit. They say stream 4K movies on Netflix simultaneously on 40 devices. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot. That's a lot of bandwidth. They, they, that's a fat pipe. Look, if uh, Brad Shoemaker from Giant Bomb got the Sonic gigabit a few months ago and we were talking about my movie uploading over Thanksgiving. He was like, look, you could do that in like four days on my connection. You're what's taken you two months to do so far. So yeah, 
Um, no data caps. No data caps. No data. Ca- I'm doing it. When you, I got to do it. You should. You you your house is made for Sonic. When you um and when you ask questions about to those guys on Twitter, the CEO answers. It's really nice. Like they're, I they're, and they're you super know good. even if really? I'm not going to yeah. cancel, it's a super. It's Comcast. a small business. How long is that going to last? You should cancel cancel Comcast. I mean, even that. if I'm not going to immediately cancel it, there's no reason I can't I can't double up. In the meantime, well, you can kill the internet and keep the keep the they cable. Won't, that's what they. I don't think they'll let you do. Yeah, they will. You'll they'll charge you more for the TV, but it'll be like ten bucks a month more. So who cares? Really? Yeah. I'm gonna do that. Yeah. Because I have housemates who like the experience of yeah. Comcast. I, I can mean, get ten megabit from Sonic. <laughs> I'm yeah. so sorry. That's that's the DSL promise. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Um. All right, uh, let's move on to. Do we have any more technology news that we want to talk about? Do you want to talk about the Surface Studio teardown? I thought that I thought that was really interesting. Okay, so uh, I fix it. Got a Surface Studio. They tore it down. They found, of course, the memory, the uh, processor, GPU, everything soldered on, but the hard drive is actually removable. So um, you can you can upgrade the SSD that, though, right? Um, uh, it's a it's got to be like an M2 two slot or something like that. No, no, right? no, it's not. It's a actual small. Oh, a two, small two and a half inch. Two and a half inch. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, I I thought that the Alexa screen rumor was interesting. The Alexa. Uh, well, wait, screen. hold on, hold on. Let me okay. let me get, get the thing with me. So Microsoft got that right in terms of one thing you could upgrade on the Super Surface Studio. One thing Microsoft got wrong is they released Solitaire on iOS and Android. And guess what? No one cares about Solitaire. And what people care less about is paying $2 a month what? a subscription service for an app to get rid of ads on Solitaire. I don't know how this got through. Wait, what? Yeah. On the, iOS? On iOS, <laughs> they thought Microsoft thought Solitaire would be so compelling that people would want to pay $2 a month to not see ads to play Solitaire is, on iOS. Is it the Klondike one or is it the FreeCell <laughs> one? Because I might pay for FreeCell. FreeCell is pretty good. It has FreeCell and Klondike and Spider and Trip Peaks and Pyramid Game Modes and Xbox Live integration. Oh, so it's the <laughs> iOS 10. I mean, it's the Windows 10 Solitaire app just on iOS and Android. That's insane. The free app on Windows. Don't you the get it free, free with Xbox Live? On Windows. Do you get no ads with Xbox Live Gold? I'm paying them sixty bucks yes. a year for a thing I literally never use. Yeah, I, I've never heard of a subscription for no ads. O- subscription only the, like a one-time upsell. That's how that's how, how strongly Microsoft believes the solitaire market is. It's a fifth the price of World of Warcraft. <laughs> <laughs> um, now uh, I love I reviewed the Surface Studio. And I really really loved it. Um, Do you for, have a studio? I we we sent it. Oh, uh, but um, the pen feature on it is. is the, the cool thing, like not saying on touchscreen, being able to draw on it, and I do believe that you know we have the iPad Pro now, we have the Surface stuff, stylus is making a comeback, um, and not only just for laptops and all in ones, but also for e-ink readers. And there's a new tablet called the, I think that's a clever name, Remarkable. That's that's I, maybe not a clever. I name. disagree. Okay, uh, a novel name, the Remarkable, and this is an e-ink reader that has supposedly a ultra ultra low latency. Stylus, and I'd be interested to see how actual low latency it is. And stylus to mm-hmm. draw on e-ink is interesting to me yeah, as a replacement for paper. Hmm. Um, and uh, and I think they're doing. A, they just announced it with a, their pre-sale. Uh, but while you're saying Alexa, yeah, I, I I saw a rumor on Engadget or Ars Technica that there's a uh, potential Alexa tablet coming. I mean, Alexa coming next year with a small screen. Yeah. So I think this. What the rumor is, it is it wouldn't be a tablet. It would be still a like stationary center of room device with the omnidirectional mic, but also 
bring in on the high end have a seven inch touchscreen. And it's also supposed to have a high end speaker. Right. So it'll right. sound great. Premium I device. I don't know that I need a screen on my Alexa. No, I well, think it's a good idea. I think it is. Yeah. So we what talked about this. I think there's a lot of information that can be relayed um, in terms of even feedback or or actual useful information that you want voice access to. Mm-hmm. When you think about how Siri gives you information Dude. from map directions to your calendar to recipes. Show me pictures of rhinos. I mean, this is this is. I guess that's true. This is now really getting into Star Trek territory, where my kids already use Alexa every day. They're going to use it so much more if it has a d- display. And they don't to have to touch it. I'd rather have one with an HDMI output that can just flip the TV on, show what I have on it, and then flip it off when it's done. And that's like the kind of far future dream where there are screens everywhere. But I don't think people want to have their TVs on all the time. But I, I think they want self-contained devices. But with yeah. HDMI CEC, you should be able to just have it plug in. The TV flips on. I mean, I have an old plasma, so it takes a long time to That's turn on. That's the thing. But if you have a modern OLED or LCD, it flips right on. Flips on, shows you the thing you're asking for, and then a minute later, it turns it right back off. I don't think it's going to be nearly as immediate. No, as but you want built-in display. I mean, eventually, you want like some sort of projected hologram above yeah. the Alexa. That no, would be that's cool. not, like 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 as if you're sitting on the bridge of some sort of starship, and yeah. there's a giant screen in front of you. Uh, well, that's what Sony tried to do with their thing: is to put in a micro projector in it. So if you put it in the center well, of the room, it can what thing? Uh, they had like a, 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 I think a CES this last year, um, a prototype they showed. Was it in the category of things that they're never going to release? Yes. Okay. Uh, but I've always thought having a pico projector built into some device like this just for feedback that they can flip on and off and be self-contained would be a good idea. And I think the screen is probably the next best thing. So there's there's two things on Alexa that have happened recently. Um, one is that they added like room, like it now detects multiple inputs and it goes with the one that hears best. So you're, if you yep. have multiple Alexas, it doesn't fire all of them at the same time. I think that works really well. Which too. works shockingly well. Um, the other thing is that over over the holiday, the dots, the small puck one, mm-hmm. were like thirty or forty dollars each. So worth it, which is incredible. I I was very tempted to put them in every room in my house. We have one in three rooms. Yeah, we have we have bed we have the front of the house and back of the house. But I'm going to put one in the office and one in the kitchen at some Skynet. point. Um, it's, Listen it's, in. Really good. It's a little bit scary in a modern surveillance world to have the always voice on, always voice. Um, like I, I want Bezos to come out and say, hey, look, we're anti-authoritarian states, so here's how we're protecting your your this thing that we've now invaded your house with. How do you get to the Star Trek future without that, though? you got to give into it. So you're saying we have to go through the, the, uh, the uh, eugenics wars to get to the, the utopia? Well, how do you get there without giving into that kind of surveillance I, I potential? Don't I don't know. Yeah. You're saying in order to make the, the ultimate human, we have to go through Well, you college. know, in Star Trek, actually, they're all local computers. All the processing was done locally on the ships. Was, yeah, there's there a library no, computer. There was no cloud, inner ship cloud mother network. It's directly underneath the bridge, the computer, yeah. It was directly underneath You're the telling bridge. me that Starfleet couldn't listen into the Enterprise if, even no, if they wanted it to? No, the ship, it would be the bandwidth. It would, it would be... You know the subspace they, networks no, were, no, they, were, were low bandwidth. They could take over. They could take over the ship if they were in proximity, because they proximity. had the control codes. Proximity, but you not. Know, but there was no giant network of data that they start. You would have to send packets yeah. back home. That's true. To give the the daily logs and the updates. Well, maybe you just got to think of Earth as a local area network. There you go. So maybe. like you and Amazon, it's it is local. Yeah. Hmm. With so many holodecks. Hmm. 
All right. Uh, before we jump into our next segment, I want to also thank the other sponsor of this week's episode, and that is VMware. And have you ever watched a movie and gone, well, why didn't they just fix the problem like that? Of course, the answer is usually because if they did that, then there wouldn't be a movie. But tech pioneer VMware said, screw it. They're going to make a that what if question and turn it into a podcast. So they dropped a couple of IT guys into uh, their classic science fiction movies like Star Wars, Matrix, Terminator. And they have these guys go in and expose Hollywood's biggest technology plot holes while having a lot of fun at the original writer's and director's expense. It's kind of clever and funny. And it's got a great supporting cast, including one of the best Jeff Goldblum impressions you've ever heard uh, in their Independence Day episode. Uh, The podcast is called IT is Greater Than Sci-Fi, and all eight episodes of the series are live right now at vmware.com slash radius slash sci-fi and you can download it from itunes soundcloud and other usual suspects so thank them for sponsoring this podcast and now let's move on to our next segment the vr minute virtual reality this week kashura is still out so there's no science to be talking no about. yeah you know no I science really, happens i really wish it was virtual reality next week why? Why? Because Oculus Touch comes out next week. Well, I can come back. There's so much good stuff to talk about. I haven't used any of the software that I, I've had the touch controllers for almost a year. You've now. had the touch controllers for a year now. Yeah. Can you say that? I guess Probably, you're a developer. I mean, <laughs> they. A lot of people have had look, them for a long time. Look, I, when you saw there was a specific size box at GDC this year that you saw developers walking around with that you were like, oh, yep, they've been by the Oculus. Oh, booth. they've been blessed. Right. Ah. Oh. Uh, Oculus Touch does come out next week, and surprisingly, the build-up to it um, hasn't been as wide-ranging as the for the Oculus launch. What do you mean the like, build-up to the it? The mainstream. Well, it turns out, and it, it the target maybe customer, backfired a little bit. The target customer for Oculus Touch is Oculus Rift owners. That's who they're catering to, and they're yeah. doing blog posts, I think, regularly about featuring some of the titles. Um, and obviously, a lot of developers who have content for HTC Vive uh, have already announced they're porting stuff over to Oculus Touch. And from the events we've been to, um, and the most recent one being Oculus Connect 3, they showed a bunch of Oculus Touch exclusive titles. Mm-hmm. Uh, some that are coming out this year, some that are coming out next year. Um, but it doesn't feel like a big console launch. Hmm. Do they have have they released the full list of launch titles yet? I I don't even think so. What I guess mm. you must mean that there hasn't been a marketing push. Yeah. And I maybe that they realized that wouldn't help them because they already have that audience built in with their current, you know, customer base. But isn't it the time now to make the marketing push for Oculus as a platform again I now suppose, that you can but, show all the videos but of then fixed reality? But then you have presence. to somehow communicate to people you don't just buy one thing. You have to buy these two things. And there is no bundle. Is, is there there that are right? bundles. You can buy bundles on Amazon. I mean, Best there's buy. no one package. That's, there's no, no one SKU. There's no SKU. That's that, a, that'll come next year. I mean, that, like, like why that, wouldn't they do a SKU? If, like for people who want to buy a, a Christmas present that has everything. Yeah, I'm sure you can go to Amazon and buy both in a bundle and get the boxes at the same time, and life finds a way. That, that's a, that's the Christmas 2016 problem: is that you got your touch controllers and your Rift for Christmas, and you open the touch controllers first, thus ruining the surprise <laughs> on the Rift. <laughs> <laughs> when does the tested review go up live? Uh, I believe since the, the the controllers do come out next week, that we should have some coverage next week. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's it's interesting that like they haven't they're promising a massive number of titles, something like fifty titles, and there's no list that I've seen yet, which is which is 
I mean, I, don't I mean, know. from the things we've seen, uh, Oculus Connect, the things I'm most excited about are the things that have some multiplayer aspect to it. Is Lone Echo um, on the launch list? No, no. dude. Lone Echo doesn't even have a release date. No, no. Uh, so Dead and Buried, I'm really excited to try that out in the the new um, the robbery mode. Um, you know, uh, Medium, definitely that, that's not a social one. I mean, Quill. Uh, Medium is the thing I'm mo- most excited about. Um, and then, you know, some of the games we played, like uh, Robo Recall doesn't come out until next year. I what? Guess. Yeah. It'll be free next year. The ones they're packing in are VR Sports Challenge and The, the Unspoken. Unspoken. The VR, I'm, I'm glad. And Dead and Buried. And Dead and Buried, right, right, right. Which is their and first Medium party. also. Yeah. So and it's, a lot, it's a lot of, it's a lot of like content. Like you get that when you buy the Touch. And I think yeah, people should yeah. also recognize okay. that, you know, because people with Touch can use Touch in Steam VR, uh, they can, you can use Oculus headset in Steam VR. There are a lot of Steam VR games that may work that they should download and then they're free. Yeah, and and it's relatively easy for developers to bring the Oculus controllers into their Steam, like update their apps so that they're the instead of showing the Vive ones and then you have to do that mental j- translation in your hand, you see the Oculus controllers. Um, I I really like the touch controllers. I know, uh, yeah, I think they're I think they're from what I've used at trade shows and things like that. You like the are, ergonomics. The of ergonomics it. of them are fabulous. Um, what about the asymmetry aspect? When you- I think that I mean I think that having a uh, a definitive canonical correct way to hold those controllers versus the wands mm-hmm. where there's ambiguity in how you actually hold them whether you hold them like 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 this you know with your palm up with your palm sideways it's good for developers it's good for developers yeah. it's good for things like in, inverse kinematics and stuff like that um i think it's i think it makes things a lot there's a easier. trade-off though because there's versatility you're talking about ambiguity versus versatility because the vive vive wands you can hold like a sword, way. you can't hold like a sword, yeah. or you can hold like a pistol grip. Yeah, and you can you can aim you can aim it up or down. Um, with the Oculus Touch, as far as we know, there's only it's it's conformed. There's only one way you can hold them. One one form I, factor. I think I really think the that resting neutral position that they chose is really smart. I think it's really. Uh, I, I'm sure you guys t- talked about the prototypes that Valve showed at Steam Dev Days uh, of their palm like their hand controllers, and and I I think that the the Less abstraction and more direct measurement of your hands is going to be the way that we're going to go uh, for the for the future. And, yes. and those the ones that they showed, which we haven't used yet, uh, the ones that Valve showed, the prototype ones, do have direct hand abstraction. The big difference is you just don't have to hold. It's controller. just it's just a thing that straps onto your hand, and then there's a touchpad in your palm. Is what is the it pictures it clamps that I saw. onto your mm-hmm. hand, um, so you can actually let go of it completely. Mm-hmm. More which like a glove. Maybe a big deal. I don't know. We'll see. There'd be a lot more to talk about next week. Yep, definitely. Uh, but other VR news that might be happening? Well, VLC, uh, this isn't necessarily VR news yet, but VLC, the popular open source video player, just added 360-degree video support. So that's cool. Um, but the major you know, improvement will come with VR support, which they're hoping will come next year. Um, so that's great. I mean, uh, VLC is the go-to video player for everything in 2D. It might as well be in 3D as well. All right. Uh, of course, Will FuVR, your Kickstarter is uh, nearing nearing uh, completion. We are thirteen days in, fourteen days in, and we have fifteen hundred dollars of fifty thousand dollars to go. So we are, according to the dashboard that I'm looking at now, ninety seven percent funded. Thank you guys so much for supporting us. Um, if you don't know what the Kickstarter is, we are basically doing a pre. We're using it as a pre sale for the first season of the Foo Show, which is the thing that I built. 
uh, where we go into video games with the developers, talk about the games. We also have some non-video game episodes in the pipeline. Uh, we have a scientist who's going to come on and talk about some really, really cool, very, very, very small science stuff. Uh, and then some other things uh, that, <laughs> that we may announce in the next, maybe by the time this podcast is up, uh, as stretch goals. Because uh, apparently stretch goals are a thing that you're supposed to do once you fund. <laughs> so um so yeah we've uh we also have updates so the two things that you should know there is a way if you don't have a vr headset yet which probably if you're listening to this podcast and you care about vr stuff you do but if you just have a 2d if you just have a normal computer that you play games on we have a client that's experimental and will be exclusive for the kickstarter backers to uh, to basically uh, watch the show without a headset. Oh, cool! So you'll be able to navigate around using a mouse and keyboard or gamepad. Pick up uh, objects. Pick up objects. Rotate them with your hand, kind of like you would in a game like Firewatch, uh, and then put them back down and and watch the show from whatever perspective you want. It's not anywhere near as immersive, but um, people wanted it, and and it wasn't. It, it's it surprisingly easy to do. It turns out. Uh, so we we added that in, and eventually it'll be available for everybody on Steam. But for right now, it's exclusive to Kickstarter backers. And you guys had uh, some surprises at Thanksgiving. Did you, did you guys have things to announce, things to show, things to oh, update? We, um, yeah, so we, we <laughs> on the Sunday before Thanksgiving, my programmer said, hey, we should do a Thanksgiving update. I said, that's actually a good idea. So we, we recorded something real quick, and we cranked out uh, the new UI and UX that we had built. So um, we got Andre Lee, who is the developer of the Steam VR app Hover, HVR, which is a kind of Iron Man flight simulator tech demo, really, of, of like another way to do movement without making people people feel motion sick that's not teleportation. Um, and and we had, I talked to him about his approach to designing UI and UX because that's his, that's his day job uh, in VR. And he came in and built a, uh, uh, what I would describe as a very kind of VR-ish UI UX for navigating between episodes and then also controlling time uh, playback within the episode and things like that. Uh, so if you want to get a sneak peek at what that looks like, you can go to uh, the beta branch on Steam if you have a Vive or Oculus Touch and check it out. Uh, and actually, we're, I think we're going to update that uh, either later today or tomorrow with uh, we, with some fixes. So people have been sending us feedback on what they think about the UI, and, and that has been incredibly helpful. So uh, please keep sending that post in the comment thread on the Kickstarter page or on the Steam forums. And um, that that is basically a sneak preview at the UI that will come out uh, when the first episode of the show ships in uh, in December. Nice. And so then uh, the, the Kickstarter is basically five episodes of the show. The first one launches in December. We'll do two in, in January and February. And we're probably going to do more episodes of Stretch Goals. So, um, so there's the opportunity to have more foo for your 20 bucks uh, than, than you would get otherwise. And on Steam and Oculus, we'll charge uh, about four bucks, four or five bucks an episode, depending on how many episodes we What's this doing. little bump on your funding graph? Did you get some press or something? Um, the little bump on the funding graph is, that? is a couple days Black ago. Friday. Oh. Or no, Cyber Monday, I guess. Oh, right on. Uh, we we just a little promotion, huh? A little. I, I did a little, little press, a couple you. interviews, stuff like that. You mm -hmm. know, very cool. Just getting getting it out there. Um, um, you guys have both launched Kickstarters. How robust are the tools for Kickstarters? 
for oh you know i keep meaning to mention this they added a new tool so they have their own video chat now right which it's, is like a hangout it's like video streaming it's it's like twitch basically right where you can you have a chat room with all of your backers and you can do a live stream and isn't there some overlay features to it too i haven't looked at the overlay stuff i think we're gonna do uh assuming it doesn't happen at like three o'clock in the morning i'm gonna try to do a live countdown please use that because i want to see it final that would so, be really fun yeah we'll we'll um i have the paper craft uh more or less ready to go i just need to get some time on a laser cutter to to cut out the 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 model and do some folding cool might, i might have to borrow a boner it's, it's, don't um, say that what that's what know. you use to do the folding it's a boner it's simple. i know it's just, oh, it's, I know. Just, it's just science jeremy i can't control the english language but yeah it's a. Uh, Maybe we'll do that for the for the. For It'd the, be fun for the threat when we cross the threshold. Um, I don't know if the tools have changed much since I was had it was on Kickstarter in the dark ages, 2013, but uh, or 14. They're it's really robust. Like you can, they give you tools. Uh, it's like simplified versions of tools that are typically much more complex. Uh, for example, like they give you a tool that lets you generate a URL that you can use to track whether your marketing campaigns and ad campaigns, which ones are most effective, hmm. um, what kind of Twitter, like, so, so like we did tags for different Twitter messages and stuff like that and can see exactly how many people convert off of those links. Um, they do the backer reports, lets you see who backed and at what level. Um, and then you kind of have a series of graphs. The other one that I found that was really useful was, um, I want to say backer kit. Um, yeah, they're local. Yeah, they are. They do. They have analytics that they're kind of like a post Kickstarter process service that allows you to add add ons and take charges and and charge international shipping after the fact right. rather than before, which is and allow your backers to pay for that shipping. Yeah. So we're gonna flip on. Um, I think later, probably tomorrow, maybe or today for you guys, maybe Friday. We're gonna ship on flip on another tier for t-shirts and pins mm-hmm. with international shipping because we didn't do that at first. I was afraid that we were gonna get boned by tariffs, but they'll also handle all the international shipping for you, which is which is good. Um, so yeah, so that's if you if you want to see how a Kickstarter is doing, you can go to backerkit. Dot uh, just replace Kickstarter in the URL with backerkit, and they do a better projection of. Like the the like the curve that Kickstarters typically follow. Oh, it's different than KickTrack. Than KickTrack, yeah. Interesting. Uh, Jeremy, for pinball fans and VR fans, you got some news for them. Um, God, I, let me play the theme music, dude, because this is we don't get pinball uh, news. You have that pinball often. music? Oh yeah, man, you guys are going mad. I'm a pinball nerd. Just to my point. That makes me very happy. Okay. <laughs> uh, Pinball FX2 VR was released on Oculus uh, at launch of the Rift, if I'm not mistaken. And um, it inspired me to build the PinSim, which was that stand-up first eight inches of a real pinball table so that you can stand at it and feel like you're playing pinball. Yeah, right? that thing's awesome. Well, finally, Pinball FX2 VR is coming out on all other platforms, on VR platforms. So it's coming out. It's on Steam. Oh, nice. I believe. So it's ready for Vive owners, and it's on PlayStation VR. Hmm. So you can play it anywhere you want to now. And uh, long to go with that, they have released a new DLC, brand new table. I think it's $5, The Walking Dead. So are these licensed tables? That one is. So that's okay. that's their first VR licensed table. All the others that they've released so far, and I believe that there's maybe eight of the ones that were in the first DLC pack in the stock pack 
those were all original IPs that they had developed Custom at designs. Zen Pinball. Okay. Yeah, and The Walking Dead is not based on the real Walking Dead pinball machine by Stern. It's their own design. Got um, it. And it's, but that's great. You know, more VR pinball, the better. I'm glad that they finally got this out on other platforms so more people can enjoy it. Have you, um, have you looked at adding hardware tracking to the pin sim? So that you can, so that the table can line up perfectly. Yeah. So Valve has the has the little markers yeah, now. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I mean, that's a lot of work to line up your pinball game. Come on, Jeremy. The thing is, it lines up. I mean, all you got to do is just like you stand at the table and then you hit the recenter button, and it's you're you're good. Yeah. Your head position too. Yeah. You're, 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 as long as your height. What if I want? What if I want what? automatic tilt tracking without the accelerometer? I want to actually measure the table movement. Uh, no. Dude. Come on, man. No, more trouble than it's worth is what that's filed under. Okay, I suppose. <laughs> the accelerometer tracking works great. You and I have very different ideas about more trouble than it's Like, look, I wanted to make a VR talk show, so what have I done? <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll have a lot more VR talk next week, we promise, because uh, Oculus Touch, as we said, is coming out. And maybe we'll talk about the year in review for VR. But uh, we do have a lot of stuff that we've been testing, so let's roll on to that segment. What we have been testing this week. Hey, what have you guys been testing? Jeremy, wow, that's a big trackpad you have there on your laptop. Thanks. Is it glass? I think glass. It's, um, this is the new MacBook uh, Pro, the dongle book. Is it the 13-inch with the with the touchpad? Yes, and wow. the touch screen. Hey, look at so, that. Um, I got to say, the er, the computer, the core computer is great. It's the, I don't mind the keyboard at all. It has less throw for the keys. The trackpad is press, nice and Can big. I press your shift key? Go ahead. Press shift key. Press what you want. No, it, uh, it does feel better than the MacBook 12-inch keyboard. People say that. I, but... I, and you know, I'm I, my old MacBook was maybe three years old, so it had the more throw to it. I probably would prefer that, given the two of them. But this does not bother me at all. Not bothered by it. This no. is my all-time favorite trackpad on uh, keyboard on a uh, laptop on. You this like one your right triple keys. Thank yeah, God like they left the headphone jack on it, because <sighs> that you know, as we know, they're endangered. No headphone jack on my iPhone 7 Plus has been a constant pain in my ass for the mm-hmm. last six. I believe hour it. Long. And you, then having uh, lightning jack headphones. And not be able to plug into 3.5 millimeter jacks, also. Yeah, that sucks too. That sucks too. As like well. my blue- Bluetooth drops all the time. It's a constant. It's just a shit show. That was a bad move, and I, they got to get back on that ball. They're not, they never. They never look back. So I got to tell you, uh, my gripes with this machine are that the sound is good, by the way. And when you we had reported that that, that iFixit said these these little grills, grills. Don't, don't do anything, they do. There's some reverberation happening there. If you cover them up, you lose the high end. Okay. So the the speakers are good. They're better than, than any MacBook. But my main gripe is the ports. Like USB C only makes no sense. What's at your all. dongle strategy? How many dongles uh, do you have with you right now? It's just pain. I got a whole bag of dongles. <laughs> I've got enough so that can I can, can convert everyone to USB. Can you get them out? I want to see. Can you grab your dongles? No, don't, don't grab your dongles. I just want to hold your dongles. Oh my goodness. Have you seen the Kickstarters and the other projects where uh. you can adapt two USB C ports, have this clamp on that turns it into multiple USB? Type uh, type A and then also 
Holy wow, hell. Wow. That is a lot of dongles. Well, I got more. Can you plug both of these in at the same time? They look like they're going to overlap too much. No, they, they actually don't. They overlap just fine. But okay. the problem is that it adds extra weight. So like if I plug in this dongle and then a USB, which is big and heavy, yeah. it, it starts to bend it down. Your dongle and dangles? It, yeah, can, and if it's on my lap, it's like bending down, right? And yeah. so I just did this is like a year away from breaking the port. Yeah. Your daughter's going to run up and say, and it'll be like, daddy, 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 and then snap. That's it. Hopefully it'll rip out. Oh my god! This is I hate this about this machine. And plus, like I mean, uh, I have I have like a, a thermal printer that's from like UPS. So like they're not going to make a USB C version of that. No. So that's like <laughs> I'm, I'm stuck with this. This is I have to use this, and, and it's just no SD card down. And just, right, so I have another thing for US for you know SD card, and I hate it every time I use it. Oh, I'm so I sorry. I hate it. I hate it. Plus the the power cable. Yeah. It used like the old one that used to have a little light on it tells you when it's charged. Yes, like, it's great. Amber means it's charging. Green means it's done. Yes, you get no indication. You have no and idea. No MagSafe. Yeah. No idea how. I mean, it this is the problem the with the uh, yeah. with the twelve inch MacBook too. Uh, hate it. MagSafe is pretty good. This is the dumbest thing Apple's ever done is removing USB ports from a laptop machine. Not to mention the SD card. It's a pro laptop. That's right. So congratulations on your purchase. Thanks. Um, also, the, so the touchscreen, that's fine. I don't use it that much. Um, but the problem is, like, I ha when I do use it, like, I was experimenting with it in photos, right? I, yeah. I cropped a photo. Using just the thing? Yeah. And Well, no, I, like, selected the crop tool. Um, and it, it can be cool, like, if you're in photos and can you're browsing cool. your photos. Can be cool. Um, let's see. Here, oh, you are I, a heavy-duty iPhotos user. So if I go into photos and then, like, I select a photo... Yeah, I'm surprised it's not working. That's weird. <laughs> uh oh, yeah. Well, you need to there it is. There it is. So you okay. get all the photos down here, and I can scrub Ooh, through them, that's, right? That's smooth. That's smooth. And that's cool. So you get into using the touch screen, right? And it's clearly yeah. a touch screen because it's it's. And then you want dynamic. to touch the screen. So then, like, I go in here, and then I'll go to edit, and then I'll I'll click on crop. I'm using this touch screen. My and instinct is to, to go up here. Screen. Oh, that I must be able to grab the crop tool. Mm. Yes. And it's because of this. Once you touch, you can't stop. That's the thing. You got the touch. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You got it. the power. There's cognitive dissonance because I'm using a touch screen. You're touched by an angel. Right next to this other screen. And so I go up there to touch it, and of course I can't do it. That's the next step. Where did the MacBook Maybe next touch year. you, Jeremy? What? Nothing. <laughs> it, it, don't touch it back. Can't touch it back. That's uh. that's this seems like this is this is this seems like a tweener product, right? It seems like something that like they had they felt like they had to push out to push USB C forward. But it, like the world is not ready for an all USB C, no oh touch screen, God. touch Maybe bar. Who thought it was? Product. Now a lot of times Apple has been prescient about this, and they have done the right thing where they get rid of the floppy drive. Um, but um, this is not one of those moves. This is a mm. bad decision. How far away are they from saying, you know what, you don't need physical keys on your keyboard. The whole thing's just going to be a giant OLED yeah. with some haptic feedback on it. You know, Norm's right. This could use haptic feedback. That should Does be it not of, have haptic feedback? No, no haptic no. feedback. No. Uh, yeah, you want the dial to feel like a dial. Yeah, you're used should. to it. You're it used bump. to it on the iPhone. When you scroll, iPhone. it should bump, 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 bump. And you're totally used oh, to it on so the cool. iPhone. Good photos, yeah. Jeremy. Yeah, yeah. I, I got to publish some of these. These are my, we're looking at my Denver photos from the Star Wars exhibit. Yeah, uh, too bad about Darth Maul. Um, yeah, the the, the vibrant. Can you adjust the vibrancy on the on that OLED on the Touch Bar? No, I don't think there's any brightness. Because it seems dim from where I'm sitting. It may just be the angle, though. It seems low contrast. Like, yeah. it seems like a matte screen. Mm -hmm. It's not as vibrant as I, I imagine it would be. Right. And it's low resolution. It's not, you know, it's 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 not retina. When you when you want to hit, like, like I hit the brightness adjustment on my, on my laptop all the time. I don't have to look at the screen to mm -hmm. do that. 
I can just reach. I know where it is. Is that something that you can do with that, or do you always have to look at it? Uh, the brightness, actually, that that's one of the good things about it. So, like with brightness, if I tap it, I can then do it analog. But you still have to look to find where the button is, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. No, you can't feel it. Yeah. No. And it's and it moves, so it's not always in the same place. You mean it doesn't like chink into like a position? Like it's not. It's not lo like the physical button is always in the same place. Yeah, it's, it's always a physical in the same button. Place. It's okay. Always in. And then I just think like that. That's one cool thing. It's like that's one of the hacks. Like you don't have to tap it and then go over there. You can just stand with volume. Drag the mm -hmm. volume. Yeah. Um, nice. How about Touch ID? Touch ID is the best thing about it. Yeah. But that comes on the low end one, right? The one without without the, the no, screen. So. Is that not on there? I don't believe. I'm it. I'm gonna look right oh. now. See that that would be good if it was on there because that's actually the best thing. I can log in quickly. Yeah. And it's not, I don't think that's supported for purchases yet. Mm. Um, but at least Just log in. At least on a Safari. But yeah, that's it, coming. It's got to be coming. I've, I've started using Windows Hello and as a matter of convenience. Wait, it, what's that? It's the face recognition thing. Oh, for right. Windows yeah, that's on, right. On the surface. But oh, it, really? it didn't recognize you without it your glasses. It didn't recognize on. me without my glasses. That's funny. But it's, it's uh, accuracy percentage is, you know, it's 9 out of 10. Yeah. Uh, I just use the, um, I use the, 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 the pin code. Yeah. I used to use the pin code, but it really is so much more convenient. I, I don't. It doesn't even feel like my computer has security on it because I, I just open up the, the the screen. Do you have to have a special um, webcam to do that? Yeah, has, it has, has to be a specific one, right? Yeah. The um, the thing about the pin code is that on my keyboard, for whatever reason, NumLock always defaults to off, so I always have to. I always t bang it yep. out on the numpad, and yep. then I, I'm yeah. like, shit. It's, it's five presses. Yeah. If, or it's nine presses if you have a four-number pin code. You hit, hit it four times, and you realize numlock is off. Right. Hit numlock, and then, and then, then hit it again. four times again. Th there's Every time you put your computer like up. When you search for how to force numlock on by default, there are thousands of pages about it, all with solutions that never, ever yeah. work. Yeah. I, I mean, uh, we've talked about this before where there's a fundamental difference between security and a, it's like the front door, right? Your bolt on your front door, your lock on your front door, isn't going to really stop a burglar. It's not real security. So biometric isn't real security. It's that it's the front door lock that gives you a little bit of peace of mind plus convenience. Um, you can be compelled in a court to use your thumbprint too because they, they kind of own that. They can force you to mm. put your thumb on a device, whereas mm. they can't force you to type your password in. Oh. Worth knowing. Yeah. Like legally speaking. Right, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so... You know, there's a, there's the trade-off between how fast and how 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 convenient it is to get something to unlock or get you past that just that front door, and I think Touch ID works great on the phones as a, as a way to you know not have to type in a four-digit or six-digit code. Right. Um, and then Windows Hello is great for, for me to get into my laptop without having to touch out, type in a password. No Touch ID on the non-touch bar oh. iPad ah. uh, MacBooks. Yeah. Mm. Um, Sorry, uh, Jeremy. I imagine you'll be doing more testing on this, and maybe we should shoot a review and get your all of your frustrations your out hottest takes on 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 video that'll get us invited to those apple events yeah. <laughs> hey you bought this one yourself you how, 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 how much did all this frustration and dongle cost you uh 2k wow plus dongles holy oh. shit i've never bought a two thousand dollar computer 2k plus dongles oh, wow yeah no, I mean, hence the frustration. I mean, it'll last a while, right? It, it I mean, works. they'll release a much nicer one next year, I'm sure. Uh. <laughs> they need an upgrade program for this. How's the palm recognition on the trackpad? I'd heard great. complaints about that. Trackpad's no problems. great. Okay. Yeah, trackpad's great. Yeah, they still make best-in-class trackpad. Yeah, it's really um, So, uh, you know, you could spend up $2,000 uh, last year and then maybe get a Glowforge this year. Um, and we do have one. So uh, later today, Thursday morning, we'll have our video uh, about uh, testing the Glowforge, a first hands-on test in-house. Now, we don't have a production unit. What we have is what Glowforge is calling a 
pre-release unit, uh, which is basically like their near production, final, final beta. Um, and it's both in the hardware and also the software, which they're continually improving. Um, but uh, it is amazing that I had over last weekend a laser cutter in my home office. I, I was laser cutting as I was playing video games. Did the they no- give you the filter and stuff, or did you have to the pipe it out the window? The filter is not ready yet, so I okay. piped it out the window. What's the noise like? It sounds like a vacuum cleaner. Okay. It's pretty loud. It's, it sounds. It basically sounds exactly like a vacuum cleaner, but except you're running it for like 50 minutes at a time. What was the first thing you cut? Uh, well, um, they give you, for the pre-release units, and I think for production units, they'll have, if you have their, their materials, they'll run you through like three things that you should you should do first test cut. Like learning like, and calibrating and stuff? Yeah, uh, there's no calibration required, but it's like a ruler and then like a pendant that you can throw a raster image on and then like a 3D engraved thing. Well, okay. One of the cool things is it can scan a QR code on the material that yeah. you buy from them. Or that yes, you're given by yeah. them. so they're and selling so proof grade materials. So it, it knows by scanning that how to cut that material. How to cut it, how to engrave it, what settings to use. And it's all like, it's all visual based. So when you want to engrave something, as opposed to saying, normally I want to engrave by setting power and speed to a certain level to get a certain color or depth of engraving or scoring. Mm-hmm. It'll know for this thick of plywood, if you want to get this color, it'll be this setting. If it's a darker color, this setting, a darker color, that setting, and you just click the color you want for that engrave and then that's what we'll do. The getting those settings right is one of like one of several dark arts of using a traditional laser cutter. So it's good. I, I, I went and um I went and worked with them a little bit at Maker Fair a few months ago in New York and got to watch people come up and do the demos that they do at trade shows where they you know, they give you a piece of paper that you can draw, draw whatever you want on with a Sharpie and then they put that on, scale it up or down and do a cut with um, with the, with the people's designs and like watching what people can do with just a sharpie and ten minutes while they're waiting in line to 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 cut on the laser was fascinating. It's gimmicky though, right? It's, it's not practical. The what drawing it with the sharpie? Yeah. Isn't that cool for kids? And it would get that is a great way to get them using a laser cutter, but it's not something you'd use for practical purposes. I think that there there are definitely times when I've needed to cut something when I wanted to trace something or when I wanted, when it would have been much faster for me to just draw it with a piece of paper and a pen than it would be for me to figure out how to draw it in Do you ever Photoshop need to? And something? all you're really cutting out though, Will, is that step of taking that drawing and putting it into a flatbed scanner. Yeah, that's exactly it. it out. So but it's cutting there, out that. When do, you, when do you want to laser cut something without accuracy? Um, I mean, if I'm making Christmas ornaments, if I'm making oh, okay. coasters, if I'm making anything that's kind of organic and doesn't need to go together, I mean, I, why not? I, I think All the right, drawing part, I agree with Jeremy that it, it falls more on the gimmicky side, because, but the camera in the bed, what the advantage is, is placement. Oh, alignment too. Alignment yeah. and placement, and knowing if you already have a material that may be a regular size, and as opposed to doing measurements saying, okay, do the cut four inches from the left, and three inches down, you can drag a raster or drag an outline on top of your material directly and have it cut there. That's the advantage of having the computer vision. And and also I think if you're like if you're if you're building if you're building this to do craft stuff, then being able to do a drawing, being able to write something and have it look like something was written or drawn, if you're good at drawing especially, which I'm not, then then that opens up a whole lot of opportunity to do some some really neat mass producible or semi-mass producible hmm. hand art, basically. I can't wait to start etching aluminum. I'm gonna that's that's, that's your first on, one? On, on, You're going to get your back. surface book? Yeah. You're going to make that Windows logo into a... Uh, I'm going to commission know. some art and, and 
There yeah. you go. And have it etched on, on top of that. It's gonna, you know it's going to be your dog. I, I have, You know what? I did etch <laughs> a photo of Ripley onto and turned her into a puzzle, a uh, 12-piece okay. puzzle. That was one of the Holy things I first did. <laughs> did you guys see the Klein bottle puzzle? The Klein Hold on, let me see what it's bottle called. puzzle. Do you know what a Klein bottle is? No. It's a mathematical construct where the inside and the outside are mathematically identical. Inside and the outside. Yeah. So it's a it's a it's a topological problem basically. Oh. Um, and this one is called the <laughs> Infinity Puzzle. It's um, you can get it on any n hyphen e hyphen r hyphen v nervous dot com. Put hyphens between all the letters. And the way it works is when you've assembled it, you take a piece off of one side, flip it over, and it assembles onto the other side. I don't know what's are, are, I'm on some I'm on bad okay. internet here, but huh. um, sounds interesting. It's it's if you like building puzzles, it would be maddening. Oh, um, it's all carved out of wood, mm. and the pieces. So basically, the puzzle the puzzle it's two puzzles. Okay, they both have uh, oh, pictures it, of outer space on either side. These are big thick pieces. Big thick pieces. Yeah. And when you take the piece out of one, mm-hmm. you f- out of one side, you flip it over, and it slots into the other opposite side of the puzzle. Um, the video stalled, so you can't see what, what I'm talking about. But anyway, it's it's uh, just search for uh, Infinity Puzzle, a new kind of jigsaw puzzle, and you'll find it. Okay. They're doing a campaign right now. They're doing a limited number of them, and if you're into puzzles, then it is, I think, super cool. Um, so you have to assemble it first before you can experience the second half of the fun. Yeah, but it's it's uh, basically it's a flattened torus is the is the way to describe it. And can you actually so a make torus it a torus is a donut? No, yeah. no, no. But okay. a torus is a topological construct that you can. It's the most complex thing you can flat. I don't know. This is math that I don't understand. Interesting. Anyway, all right. Sorry. No boundaries. Complete seg- bad segue there. But don't know how we got there. Um, all right. So yeah, check well, out the video for the GoForge. <laughs> that was the point. We could laser cut it. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll have our impressions, and we had Adam do a, a sketch, and we laser cut that. So that was fun. Drawing and then lasering it is for children, mm-hmm. apparently. Jeremy, it's it gets people excited. I mean, it's something that I would never <laughs> imagine growing up having access to. No, a laser cutter working out of my office. It's, it's magic. Um, other thing I had in my office this weekend in the house was the Phantom Four Pro. So we begun testing. Uh, yes, I need to get it set up. Noisier than a laser cutter. Um, yeah, it's, you know, a swarm of bees versus a vacuum cleaner, um, and still haven't had, done full flights with it yet in terms of, a, I want to get some sunrises, the camera system supposed to be much more powerful, you know, it's a one inch camera sensor, 100 megabits recording, does D-log, uh, so I'm going to get some footage. What's D-log? Raw video, basically flat video that mm. you can color grade afterwards, so I'm going to mm. send that over to Joey and have him work on some of that footage I shoot with the Phantom 4. But I did get the transmitter, the RC remote with the built-in screen, and it turns out that built-in screen is basically like an Android tablet. It's a five inch Android tablet. It's super bright. It worked really. It looks really good outside. I mean, yeah, that's that seems like the big win on a on on a custom tablet for the the flight. And so for the price difference between that and um, and the one without, ta- you know, it's you're buying more than the screen. You're getting a little computer that runs their DJI Go software. How much more is it? I think it's a couple hundred bucks more. But that's all kind of a lot. Yeah, I, I know. It, it, on first glance, I'm like, no, why can't I use my phone? And because my phone has a cellular, I can download maps. Um, so it's really a matter of testing and seeing does the convenience of having a really nice screen and flying outdoors, is that worth that couple hundred dollars? Um, Will, PlexCloud. Um, yeah, so uh, PlexCloud, Amazon announced, uh, it was not Amazon, Plex announced a few weeks ago that if you are storing, 
if you want to put all of your movies on a Amazon Drive account, which is $60 a month for in infinite storage, basically, $60 a year, rather, for infinite storage, uh, then you will be able to, at some point in the future, run a Plex server uh, in the cloud. So instead of having to have a machine running in your garage, it'll just run on Amazon's compute cloud or whatever, and you'll be able to connect to it from anywhere in the world, just like your own personal Netflix. And what's the um, bandwidth uh, speed like on that? On the Amazon server, well, I mean, Amazon Amazon hosts like thirty percent of the web, so and it, so it's that fast. It's not like a backup service where it takes forever to get your files no, back. No, 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 it, it, it's, it's fast. It's on demand. That's yeah. great. So, the, I mean, the question is whether they're going to be transcoding like your twenty megabit Blu-ray rips down to something that's more compatible with most people's broadband. Yeah. Um, how how transcode will work on that? Will you have to transcode like, if you want to put it on your iPad? Will you have to transcode it? on EC2 and will they charge for that? How, how does all that stuff work? Uh, they rolled out the beta to a very limited number of people a few weeks ago. The feedback was that it's it's definitely a beta. It's not a it's not like a mostly polished product ready to go. They're figuring out real nitty gritty about how, the, how that works in order for it to make a viable business for Plex um, as well as something that people actually want to use. But I have four or five terabytes of ripped Blu-rays and DVDs and I thought, might as well start uploading those. So for um, everyone listening, he actually does have these ripped. I'm he he's an anti, I, he's I'm an anti pirate. He's like serious. He does have them ripped. He didn't get these off BitTorrent. No, I don't steal stuff. I don't steal it's content. True. As it's a person who true. makes content for a living, I don't believe in stealing content. Um, the the uploading process. I started using Amazon's default graphical client for Windows. It turns out there's a much better option, especially if you have access to an always-on machine called R-Clone that is basically uh, R-Sync, a Linux tool for uh, cloud storage. So you can connect to uh, Amazon, Box, Dropbox, a bunch of different places. And it lets you use a command line tool to basically sync the contents of one folder on your local machine with the, the uh, cloud service. Which is faster and both both faster and more reliable than the Amazon client, especially when you're talking about in some cases like 10 gig files, 10, 12 gig files. So um, that's been running for now six weeks. Uh, my upstream has been a disaster for a <laughs> month and a half. Does that affect your downstream? Uh, it makes it, it, it turns out you have to tweak the amount of upstream you use, or else your downstream really suffers, just because you can't get requests out. Yeah. Um, but once I once I got that kind of worked out, then mm. everything's been fine. Uh, and I have like a half a terabyte to go and then TV shows. So it's very, it's an exciting moment in the Smith household. <laughs> uh, the other thing uh, that I got recently thinking of, th speaking of things that sound like a vacuum cleaner, Amazon ran sales on fancy vacuum cleaners on Friday and, and we invested in a completely cordless house size vacuum cleaner, which is a thing I didn't realize existed. What does that mean? It is a basically a full size dust buster. So it's a the Dyson we got the Dyson Animal V6, which I think you have, like the little brother version of that norm. I do, I do. Um, I, I actually I have and I have the we call it the suck suck the handheld one. Yeah, so this is the handheld one, but they put a bigger battery and bigger motor in it, and mm -hmm. you have a whole uh, like a beater head. Wow. So I mean, we have a relatively small house. Expensive. It was well, it was it did not cost that much money when we bought it. it Retail half price five hundred. Yeah, the, we, I think we got it for two fifty or two sixty. Um, and it, it vacuums our entire thousand square foot house on one charge in like 15 minutes, which is great. That's great. No cords. Is it wet? What do you mean? Some of these vacuums, they squirt out water or stuff like that. No, we have a steamer to do the hardwood mm. to get in between the cracks of the hardwood, but the, this is just a, a dry vacuum cleaner. Okay. Um, 
cool. and it has a little it has a little mount that goes on the wall that charges it. It's 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 fancy and it gets really loud. You know, one thing I was really tempted to buy on Black Friday, uh, appliance-wise, was a new television. I was going to ask you about really? that. Really? Why? And How old is your television? Well, Will and I bought our televisions during the same holiday. 2011? 2010? 2010. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, 2010 for TV Quest. So it's six years ago now. Yeah. And we both got plasmas. Will, I believe, got 63 Did you get the Samsung? Or you got the Samsung. I got the we Samsung. Got, Gary and I got the Panasonic, you got the, I think. You guys both got the Panasonics. You yeah. have 63? I have No, I bought a 58, I think. Okay. Maybe I, I got I got it's right around sixty inches. You still yeah. have it too? Yeah. Right. I have it's the a little five and Gary got the sixty eight or seventy or yeah. something like that, right? Well, there was a Vizio which has the best rated four uh, K HDR TV currently mm-hmm. by many, many for best best um, image quality for your buck, had their sixty five inch for fifteen hundred dollars wow. on Black Friday, which was very, very tempting. Since my plasma is slowly dying, I have had to replace the board once, uh, but it's not dead yet. And the thing stopping me from buying it was the 75-inch version, 10 more inches, mm. was three thousand dollars. And I'm like, I can't spend that much money on a TV right now. Well, and then and then there's also like the on the OLEDs are coming down in price finally, and like you can get a really nice OLED that's 55 that or big. 60 inches for like $1,500, $2,500 somewhere not, in not there. Not 4K, though. <clears throat> Those are usually 1080p. Are they only 1080p? I think so. I thought they were 4K OLEDs that came out uh, this holiday. It, so it, Maybe this holiday. I'm a little. Yeah. I'm like six months behind. I mean, the fact that you can get a 65-inch, which is massive, 4K HDR, well-reviewed TV for $1,500, yeah. um, when I think I bought that 65-inch plasma for like $4,000, you know, ten, uh, six years ago, uh, that's... it. it I think it's not unreasonable to say if you're, if you're going to buy a TV, buy a 4K TV. Well, so so I was looking like I'm not in the market for a TV right now, but I was watching people's reactions and the people who uh, either have the Xbox One S or the PlayStation 4 Pro, I guess. Yep. Were were kind of raving about the HDR stuff. It seems like it seems like the big jump isn't necessarily the resolution for games at least, but the, the jump from HDR, not HDR to HDR. I think that makes total sense. Um, yeah. I mean, HD to H to 4K only makes a difference at either a large scale or at a close range. Yep. And yeah. uh, most people are sitting reasonably far away from their TVs. Yeah. Uh, but, but the HDR makes that's a depth huge That makes a difference at any res, yeah. So the, the thing that I saw is that a lot of people are having trouble with, um, like the the setup for the HDR seems like there's still some work to do. Like either it doesn't support HDR, or when you turn HDR on, then stuff that's not HDR looks terrible. Or like there's there's all sorts of. It seems like there's some fiddling that has to happen on the TV side, which mm-hmm. maybe you may or may not want to have to do. But I mean, overall, it seems like now is finally the time to start thinking about that 4K upgrade on the set side. And there's actually discs coming out if you want to watch that. Netflix has 4K. Um, you, I mean, you'll destroy your bandwidth cap if you if you, if you you start watching a bunch of 4K. I just signed up for Sonic. Good job. Just right podcast, now? During this wow. podcast. Wow. It's going to take up to four weeks to install, but I can't wait. Yeah. I'm, uh, can I come over to your house and upload some movies? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Comcast is going to turn me off next week. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm interested to hear what people think about 4K and whether if you bought a 4K set on Black Friday or, or Cyber Monday, whatever, um, I'd, be, I'd be interested to hear what you think about it. Awesome. Um, and I think that does it for us this week. It's a good podcast, long podcast. Uh, I believe Kishore will most likely be back next week. Um, 
But thank you, Will, for coming in. Of course. Uh, and, of course, you can find his Kickstarter uh, at fuvr.com. Fuvr.com slash Kickstarter. <laughs> I imagine you could. I was, I was going to make a short URL right on the spot, but I, 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 I turkey slash turkey works slash Kickstarter works. There you go. Either one. But pick, um, your, pick your poison. Of course, uh, Jeremy, thank you as always for being here. And thank you guys out there for listening. Um, and thank you for making some outro music. Uh, I think we have one queued up this week. So uh, for everyone here, we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Hi there, didn't see you there. Test it. I'm not getting anything. I don't know what's wrong with the audio. Well, maybe I'm muted. Okay. What was wrong was that it was too loud. That was a great one.